The primary election is almost here. Vote centers will be open May 7th from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Make your vote count. Visit vote.indy.gov for more information. This message was paid for by the Marion County Election Board. Boy, it's been a while since we have had a morning look like this. I don't think a ton of rain. I feel like it's the bucket game this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Illinois Northwestern, noon today (laughs) on ESPN2. That's what it looks like. Welcome to week nine of the college football season. Uh, Certainly rained a large amount yesterday, much, much needed. It was a little sprinkly for me on the right in how about you guys yeah it was um misty maybe would probably be the better way to describe it yeah just kind of, and you know the other thing not only was it you know just kind of overcast whatever and that's that's okay i mean we've needed the rain so it's it's actually welcomed but this is such an odd phenomenon to mention kevin and maybe i've said it to you before but i think people listening can relate if they drive downtown Every year at the, in the indianapolis 500 one of the questions that that is always asked of rookies about the 500 is like, what do you think it'll be like at the start? And they always say, well, the veterans have told me that like the track seems so narrow on race day because we've never done it with all the crowd in the stands. And then all of a sudden, all the practice you've done, now it feels like everything's narrowed down to like a half a lane because it just looks so narrow going into the straightaway. Have you noticed that Capitol Avenue now, just by Methodist Hospital and just south of it, they are building – and it's impressive. I mean, every morning we've been able to kind of watch the building of this. But they're building a medical complex, essentially, on both sides of Capitol, just south of 16th Street. And suddenly now the road feels like it's like half-lane narrow. Have you noticed that? Well, they're the usually, only one? I feel like they're usually kind of diverting us out of the right lane into the left lane of the two. <laughs> but it is quite the structure going up there. It is, man. It's like watching... Um, you kind of hope that the – because literally, like, it was a hole in the ground eight months ago, and now it's like a four-story building. So you, you hope that, like, the building of the Pacers and the building of the Colts goes with the same efficiency, right? And you could see it before your very eyes, and there appear to be no hiccups. Yeah. And it's narrowing the road. Yeah, that's probably a good way to describe it. Again, a little bit overcast on this Monday morning. Good Monday morning to you. A little bit of a chill, I should say, in the air as well compared to what we've had here in recent weeks. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Sam Fritz uh, rocking the Bucky's hat today, filling in for Mark Dykton. Was that in honor of Mark there, Sam? That's a Chris Bucky's hat you've got on. I figured, you know what, it's been a couple of days that you had the weekend without him. You guys probably miss Mark a little bit. That's right. I do my best to remind you guys a little bit of home today. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So thank your you mom that. went to Bucky's for the first time? Yeah, my mom flew to Tennessee to see the Titanic Museum over the weekend. And then drove up through Lexington, Kentucky, and stopped at a Bucky's before she came up to visit me. There's a Titanic yeah, museum in like, Tennessee. There is, and it's actually very interesting. Shouldn't it be in the middle of the Atlantic? <laughs> I was gonna say, well, how did they pick Tennessee? That's the for VIP t- experience. Oh, the gotcha. Tennessee Thank Titanics. You. Um, but you actually get assigned a person who was physically on the Titanic as your character for the museum tour, and then at the end you get to figure out whether or not you were rescued or not. So wow, yeah. Well, nothing like taking. Massive peril and turning it into a fun game for the whole family. That is and quite interesting. And thanks to Tennessee uh, for, or uh, what is it, Travel Tennessee. They're my segment sponsor. What's that say? Establish what year on that hat? 1960-something? I, my, my eyesight isn't great on that. Uh, 1982. 82. Wow, Bucky's. 1982 and discovered really by created, the rest of America in 2012. Created quite the brand here. Yeah, Mark Dykton on his ninth Bucky's, and he will be back in studio with us tomorrow. Greg Doyle from The Star joins us at 8 o'clock. Pat Boylan at nine we are in the final week of the Colts offseason pro program so mandatory mini camp 
coming up Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And Jake, is tonight the final game of the NBA Finals? Probably, yeah. I, you know, Miami is a resiliency. I'm not saying, you know, they're not going to win the series. But can I see them drawing it out for one more? Yeah. But it's going to be tough. I mean, Denver's really good. And, and, you know, it's really funny. A couple of, even the NBA Finals, a couple of days off and you almost forget, oh, that's right, they're still playing. Because it's kind of a foregone conclusion, is it not? And you go back to Friday night in game four and Nicole Jokic gets that fifth foul in the fourth quarter. And that's that moment where, I don't know, maybe just with how NBA officiating is, I feel like stars don't get into foul trouble very often. Um, and so all of a sudden Jokic picks up that fifth foul, Michael Malone sits him, and you're thinking, okay, all of a sudden is this the moment where you know Miami cuts into that lead by the time Jokic gets back on the floor? Is it three or four points? And whether it was Bruce Brown or Jamal Murray, more from kind of a distributing standpoint, uh, they didn't even really touch that lead. I think it went from maybe 10 to 9. I was mowing the grass on Saturday and listening to, um, you know, Zach Lowe, the ESPN guy? Yeah. He brought up, I thought, a really interesting analogy comparing that Jokic moment. And it might have been Jeff Van Gundy with him. But he brought up that Jokic moment in a way to the 2000 NBA finals and Jake game four Pacers Lakers over at Conseco and Pacers win game three game four is a terrific game back and forth Shaq fouls out in overtime of that game four and all of a sudden and I think a lot of people attribute this there is Kobe Bryant's moment yeah. That's like the first Kobe moment. And I'm not saying Jamal Murray necessarily had that moment on Friday night, but with Jokic on the sideline, on the road, in a game four, imagine if the Pacers win that game. Then it's 2-2, and now all of a sudden you've just created a little bit of seed of doubt into the heavy favorite. And that's what could have happened on Friday night. It's, you know, can you create this seed of doubt? And like the Lakers did to the Pacers, and Kobe did with hitting, I think it was back-to-back shots right after Shaq fouled out. Um, the Lakers made a championship statement on the road without their dominant force, and I thought the Nuggets did the same thing. And Christian Brown and Christian Brown in Game Three, uh, Bruce Brown in Game Four, uh, there are others stepping up away from home. And tonight, eight thirty should be quite the scene in Denver as they try to close it out. You know, I was talking. Uh, get ready for your bingo card here, Kevin. My buddy Marshall Gephardt is in town, who lives in Denver. We grew up together. I know Marshall. No, Marshall lives in Denver, so New one. Okay. not around All as right. much. But uh-huh. Byron was there, and Dewey was there. Okay. We got together yesterday. Marshall brought the goods in from Denver? <laughs> he did not. He, he was traveling with his daughter. Oh, well, um, <laughs> never know. Not to say probably doesn't have the goods, but um, <laughs> but anyway, so we all had lunch together, and, and so we were talking about the Nuggets, and I said, you know, we were just saying, like, how big a deal is it in Denver right now? And I thought you would find this interesting, Kevin. Marshall said, well, three of our four sports teams in Denver, the Rockies, the Nuggets, and the Avalanche, you can only get on Altitude TV. And he's like, and like Xfinity and DirecTV and one of the other ones don't carry it. He's like, so you have to have like YouTube television to get Altitude or to have their app. Really? Yeah. So they're like, in the Bally issue? Correct. The exact same Regional thing. The exact Network. same thing. And yeah. I think Altitude is actually owned by, I could be wrong in this, but I think it's owned and operated by Cronky Entertainment, which owns the 
Avalanche and the Nuggets and then the Rams, the Rams, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. But, but I did find that interesting that here you have a team that's in the NBA Finals, and for a lot of the fan base in Denver, it's the only time they get to watch them on television because it's on regular, quote unquote, regular TV. You know, I um, I would assume the environment will be pretty great tonight in there. I mean, the history of their franchise, uh, you know, considering the ABA aspect to it and the fact that they have never been to a finals until this week, or I should say this year, and obviously the ability to close it out tonight. If there would be a game six, it would be Thursday. Um, so our coverage will begin at 7.30 tonight. Last I saw, I think Denver was eight and a half, nine and a half point favorite in that one. So clearly... Uh, those in Vegas think that Denver will take care of business tonight. It is one of those things like, I guess, Boston and Miami face this in the Eastern Conference Finals. You all of a sudden get that game five, and then you go back on the road, and you create that you know home environment. I'm not saying Miami's going to do that by any means, but this is one for Denver. Uh, you would like to take care of business and avoid any pressure moments, serious pressure moments the rest of the way. Uh, how was your weekend? It was great. Uh, Rosie Bowen, we pretty much acted like yesterday was her birthday. Today is her actual birthday. Oh, well, happy birthday, Rosie. Yes, thank you. Rosie turning three today. You know, it can kind of get confusing at that age when you, ah, uh, yeah, your birthday's this day. No, your birthday's that day. So, yeah, we had some uh, family members over for her birthday yesterday. We had a watermelon uh, pinata that was a big hit on the front porch. Well, that's fun. Yeah, when's the last time you've swung out a pinata? <laughs> Probably 1976. <laughs> Yeah, we had some. Uh, we had a lot of check swings from her and her cousins, but her um, her oldest nephew certainly took a big whack here's at a, it. Here's a, a dumb question. So, does, as a pinata, do you buy the pinata? So we, yeah, so we bought it um, at Target without any candy. We, we still had some Halloween candy left. We're trying to get rid of. Yeah, I know it's June. Uh, so we stuffed the pinata then with that. So then, and you, you tape get- up the little hole that you put the candy in string it from like a hook on our front porch and how many wax does it take to break it open finally well again we're, we're dealing with some some young bats yeah, here so like what do you do that i brought out a wooden spoon and a uh more of a metal spoon just to see you know are we gonna go aluminum we're we gonna go wood bat here uh we had some trial and error with both of those it probably took a dozen swings from everybody before we got things going we had some swings and misses we had some we had some at bats that unfortunately looked reminiscent of indiana state this weekend jake yeah, how about the the trees? Good run for them. You know, fun for people to be able to watch. Yeah. And then you know, TCU is obviously really good. But they you know, they had they got out 2 nothing, a 2 nothing lead and you kind of got excited and then Yeah, I was watching. I pretty much bit. watched the whole game Saturday night. Um 6-4 was the final in that one. You know, we talked last week leading into the Super Regional that TCU was scoring like none other throughout the tournament. I mean, and that's, this goes back to the Big 12 tournament. They'd scored double-digit runs. They'd scored 20 runs in a game. And um, the fact that they held them to 10 total runs in the two games, I mean, you would have signed up for that if you're an Indiana State fan right away. But a 4-1 Friday night, 6-4 Saturday, their season comes to a close. I did see Oral Roberts it's making it to the College World Series. Really? Shout-out to ORU. wonder how far uh... – Tulsa is to isn't Oral Roberts in Tulsa? I believe Don't it you, is. I, in for that whatever area. reason, in my mind, I think of Tulsa and Omaha as like sister cities. Former uh, like six hundred miles from each big other. rival of IUPUI back in the day. 
conference-wise? Uh, we went to the Italian Fest on Saturday night. Have what you been about to that? doing that? Yeah, it's, it, it, it's been a while. I mean, certainly, you want to talk about bringing some goods from Denver and maybe lighten that up before you head to the Italian Festival. Excuse me? Uh, you need quite the palate to walk in there. Quite the stomach, I should say. Yeah, they. I mean, you know what's funny? We went there um, kind of like last-minute thing, just like, hey, let's go check it out. I scored on a parking spot, which was fabulous. Pulled up, somebody was leaving right when we pulled in. I'm like, oh, my gosh, here we go. And this um, is like north side of Fountain Square, Fletcher Place, for those unfamiliar with where they talk Yes, festival Holy is. Rosary Catholic Church. CYO now, Center. Okay, let me ask you this, Kevin. This has nothing to do with uh, what we're talking about, but I want somebody out there to fill me in on what happened here, okay? I found this alarming. First off, you and I somehow got involved in some weird text thread over the weekend. Did you notice that? Yeah, that was really weird. What mm-hmm. was that? I, I I was confused. Was it a bot thing? What was it? I was nervous. I believe it was one of our listeners that has both of our numbers, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, um, yeah, I felt awkward in that group text. It was very strange. I thought about leaving. Well, it just went away, but anyway, we'll discuss off air. So- Shannon and I are getting ready to get you know go out to dinner on Saturday night. His name was Doug, right? Doug, that's yeah, correct. Uh, yeah, Doug the listener. Yeah. And so we get in the car, and she says, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I said, "We should go by the Italian festival." And she goes, "Where is it?" And I said, "It's somewhere around Fountain Square, but I'm not sure exactly." So I look it up, and I see where it is—the the name of the church. So I put in my phone in the Apple Maps or whatever the name of the church, and it pops up as. Italian festival. I'm like, yeah, perfect. I hit let, let's go. And it's like, you know, let's go. And then we get in the car and we go and I, I've got it plugged in. And so it's giving me the navigation, even though I know the general area. But I figured it would tell me the best way to get there to avoid traffic. So we get to the Italian festival. We, we walk around, whatever. It's fun. Afterwards, I have a text from my sister, Megan, that says, well, that sounds like a lot of fun, but we're still on our way back from Hilton Head. So have fun. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Then I scroll up. My phone was sending her updates on my arrival to the Italian festival. Whoa. That sounds like something I need to program into my kids' phone. Uh, honestly, like, and I'm like, what did I do that? And I looked, like, I've never used the whole, like, share location. Yeah. Uh huh. And I looked, and that wasn't turned on for my, and, and I don't, I mean, my sister and I don't have, like, I mean, it's not like I'm regularly talking to her daily or anything like that on the phone. But for whatever reason, when when I plugged in the address on my phone, it then sent her a thing like, we will be there in 18 minutes. And then like later, it was like, a bit delayed, we're running five minutes behind. You think Italian mafia somehow? Uh, yeah, and then when we, got there, button. They, when we got there, there was one that said, we have arrived at the at, lo- at our location. And I'm like, I, have no, I still have no idea how that happened. Listener Doug planted that. Yeah, so then you and I get all of a sudden I get this text that's got like thirty five people on it, and it was like a random. You were the message. only number I had. Correct. Same. Likewise. Okay. And I'm like, what? Is, what is this? And it says like, how are you doing or something like that. And then the next one said that was from Doug. He sent that to everyone. And that was, that was it. That was the entire. No one else responded. I know, and I got nervous there for a second. Some texts were going to be sent that maybe shouldn't have been sent. I feel like the topic could have been trending down that path. So I, just, I was sweating a little bit when yeah, I saw I, that. I, I bailed on it altogether. But if anybody has any idea on what my phone did, I, I found it a little bit terrifying. 
Yeah, um, that's some deep stuff. Yeah, you guys have my number. I'm not going to give it out right now, but uh, uh, my number's out. Novak Djokovic, Jake, major number 23 on Sunday. Why do I feel like Federer and Nadal are beloved more than Djokovic? I think part of it has to do with... That's the record, by the way, 23. 22 for Nadal, 20 for Federer. Honestly, I think it's a couple of things. Nadal is just a cooler-looking guy, right? He's a good-looking dude, or he was. Um, there have been, in the case of Nadal, I think this has partly to do with it, Kevin. There have been stories over the years. You know, a couple of years ago, I can't remember what tournament it was. He had to withdraw. He had, I think it was back. And he had to withdraw from the tournament, and then somebody sent out a video, like a cell phone video of him. The morning that he had to withdraw, he went back to the hotel and thanked all the people that worked at the hotel for their assistance over the course of the weekend. I mean, the front desk, the people in the cafeteria, like the whole deal. I, stories like that, I think, are endearing to people. But for the most part, I think it's just the fact that Nadal is, you know, he's a cool-looking dude. He's kind of a younger, vibrant guy, even though I realize they're all the same age group. Um, in the case of Federer, I think Federer's appeal to a lot of people is there's kind of the funny thing of like, oh, you know, he he looks like Quentin Tarantino and, you know, he he's had like natural rival also. I, I think Djokovic to some extent, and I'm not – this is a dirty slope to go down. I think when he refused to get vaccinated, which cost him going into one of the majors, at that point people saw that as selfish at that time. I'm not saying he wasn't right, wrong, whatever. I'm just saying at that time I think people thought, like, well, that seems selfish. Yeah, I feel like before that, though, Jake, he was always kind of third in line with those three. And part of it might just be – He feels a little – he feels the most robotic of the three. That's that's probably a good way to put it. And I would also say just order of arrival. I mean, again, I know they're all in the same age group, but if I'm not mistaken, I felt like on the scene it went Federer first – Nadal starts winning those French Opens at a really young age, and then you get to Novak. Um, first man to win each of the four majors at least three times, 7-6-6-3-7-5 for Casper Rudd there in the final as Novak Djokovic wins major number 23. And I do feel like, you know, a dominant storyline yesterday, Jake, in the uh, sports world, and I guess if your family was en route from Hilton Head, they probably – we're not watching it, but did you get a little golf action? You get a little Canadian Open, it Canadian Open and the Stanley Cup Final all in one. Oh, it's what we got yesterday. What a predicament, PGA right? Tour. Was there any lacrosse being played? That's the national sport of Canada. Is it really? Yeah. Over that's hockey. A, that's a great trivia question. The national sport of Canada is lacrosse. Look it up. How do you define that? How do you define the national sport? Yeah. You Google it. <laughs> I mean, like, how does it get voted on? I don't know. What's our national sport? Is it baseball still? I would guess it's baseball. Is Is it it the pastime? How about the athletics, by the way? That's five in a row, folks. I did not watch golf over the weekend, by the way. Uh, Outstanding finish. Absolutely outstanding. Nick Taylor from 72 feet. The longest putt made all week long at the Canadian Open by 14 feet. Jake, you got to see the highlights. Have you not seen Adam Hadwin getting tackled by a security guard on the green? I did see that. So... That little history on the Canadian Open. Uh, they have not had a native win the Canadian Open since 1954. Nick Taylor, with a great final round, gets into a playoff with Tommy Fleetwood. I think people will recognize Fleetwood. He's um, he's golf Jesus. Kind of looks like Jesus out there, at least. Uh, you know, Charlie Whitehurst. Uh, who, who's pit lane Jesus? Is that J.R. Hildebrand? That's right. 
There we go. Uh, those are all of our sporting Jesus. I think we just covered there. Uh, he gets into play with Tommy Fleetwood, who has never won a PGA Tour event, which I think would surprise some people. His wins are more uh, global, Euro- European tour based. Uh, playoff had awful golf shots, great golf shots, great putts, horrible shots. It was terrific. Some rain. The Canadian fans were absolutely going ballistic for their native Nick Taylor. You had a ton of Canadian golfers surrounding the greens, hoping that he could finally get it done. Adam Hadwin is one of those Canadian tour golfers. Nick Taylor makes his putt, longest putt he's made in the history of himself on the PGA Tour. Uh, They storm the green. Adam Hadwin starts spraying champagne on Nick Taylor. Security guard doing his job thinks that it's just a random fan and takes Adam Hadwin to the ground. Awesome. It is a beautiful form tackle. If Shaquille Leonard, Zaire Franklin can mimic that this season, the Colts might have one of the best defenses in the entire NFL. And now I'm thinking, imagine if Adam, Adam Hadwin, easy for me to say, Adam Hadwin, what if he like got hurt and now he's out for the U.S. Open? Does he sue that security guard? Now, if he, what if he had not been, he was victorious, correct? Adam Hadwin was celebrating his countryman's win. So okay, he was so, celebrating Nick Taylor's so, victory. So if Nick Taylor had not been victorious, would he be Adam had lost? I mean, I'm just asking. Sam, there's no way you were laughing at that. I, I did. That was, uh, for on the moment, 8 out of 10. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Sam. Off See, that's, cuff, that's what we love about Sam Fritz. Um, the National Sport of Canada, by the way, they changed it in 1994 as lacrosse is the official national summer sport, ice hockey the national winter sport. The United States does not have an official national sport but how does this get voted on? Like popularity? Most people playing it? It's a good question. Uh, baseball is the unofficial national sport of the United States. The only the only nations that have a national sport, Argentina's is Pato. I don't know if that's award. award? Yeah, I know. Uh, Chile is Rodeo. Colombia is Tejo. Uh, Mexico is... It's not soccer for these South American countries? Mexico is... I'm going to mispronounce this. Chaurria, I, I I might have said that wrong. Sounds the, like a special. Nepal's La is volleyball. Philippines is Arnie's, fabulous pizza. Uh, Puerto Great Rico pizza. is Paso Fino. South Korea is Taekwondo, and Uruguay is uh, basically gaucho skills. There you go. I I tweeted this out after the Taylor putt, and again I know that you know I'm heavily biased against what the Live Golf Tour is all about. But I just think in no way, shape, or form can Liv sniff that sort of drama in such a down PJ Tour week. I mean, that is an event, Jake, that no one should be paying attention to. It's a week before a major. It's probably like the 25th most important PJ Tour event of the year. You've got, what, Rory and maybe Matthew Fitzpatrick is the only top 10 players in the world even playing. And yet on Sunday, you had awesome storylines up and down the leaderboard. You had great drama not some shotgun start where guys are finishing all over the golf course. You can set up storylines. Everybody's playing the 18th hole to end it, so everybody gets familiar with what that hole is all about. Um, the history of the Canadian Open, the history of no Canadians having won that event in over 60-some years. That is what I really hope this merger, and again, I say that in quotes, I hope it doesn't derail stuff like this. The because- security guard, by the way, coming around the around the edge was impressive. Oh, you want to talk about a sneak attack. I mean, great vision, eyes in the back of his head, unbelievable. It was the recognition. If Quiddy I mean, Pay can rush the passer like that this season, 
You might as well build a statue next to Peyton. In front of now, him. what was said afterwards? Did he at least? Yeah, I think there's actually a, a picture of them kind of like hugging it out in the 18th green. If you look at, there's a couple of different angles of it. If you look at one of the angles, Nick Taylor's caddy sees it happening, like after he's hugging Nick Taylor, and he like goes over there and is like, "No, dude, this is one of our guys here." Like, this but is I mean, one of in our- all honesty, if you're if you're one of the golfers, including Hadwin, like you've got to be somewhat impressed or relieved by, hey, you know what? This guy was doing his job, right? Oh, sure. Hell yeah. Hey, sign him up for the CFL, right? Was that Jarrell Freeman? That <laughs> I mean, e- Enoch Muamba? There's another guy in the background that looks like Buddy Ryan that got involved, too. Or actually and it was Rex a Ryan. great scene. And again, he makes a 72-foot putt for the win. One of the wildest finishes you're ever going to see on the PGA Tour. And, and there was a moment I'm like, are all these Canadian fans just going to storm the green? It was awesome. Awesome. U.S. Open this week, L.A. Country Club. I cannot wait. Terrific golf course. The live golf thing, though, Kevin. Like, like, I would love for a listener without looking it up right now to tell me where the next live event is. Or who won the last live event. But it's all event. the same thing, isn't it? it, it it's, it's contrived events. But, That's but what, what live I'm was. Is, is live still around? We don't know that. We don't know that. And so I hope that the PGA Tour is able to still hold these sorts of events, this sort of tradition, because I think, yes, at some point you have to create tradition. But, Jake, I think the nostalgia and the history of sport, that is something but, that we love. Like, Okay, but what I'm saying, here's where I'm confused. I'm going to play the part of dumb casual fan, which is what's – this is going to be an issue for golf, okay? I think we're all confused, by the way. The Live Tour. As I understand it, the Live Tour is done. We don't know that. We, we have no idea. The press release was announced with zero details. If you listen to Live people, they say Live's going nowhere. If you listen to PJ Tour player th- – PJ Tour people, they say Live is done. So, Live in this unification, do you believe, is it possible that the PGA assumes this means that Live is returning all of its golfers back to the PGA with the understanding that that means they're now going to be the sanctioning body? Or is Live under the assumption of, no, this means all the PGA players have to come play for us? I think the former, and if I had to guess, and we'll have Will Haskett on this week, yes, to talk about the U.S. Open because, you know, with Father's Day coming up in six days, I think it's an awesome golf weekend, and it's going to be in prime time this year with it being out in L.A. We have not had U.S. Opens in Los Angeles for decades, so I think it's going to be a terrific, terrific event. Um, but it, a question that we can throw to Will, Jake, if I had to guess, like what does the future of professional golf look like? And, again, this is such a guess. But I would say the PGA Tour schedule, for the most part, stays relatively status quo. And then when you get to the fall, basically the PGA Tour is done in September. When you get to October, November, December, maybe even January, that's when you would have some live events, basically just cash grabs, and you go play around the country, or around the world, I should say, and maybe some team elements to it, and that's where you get your global major money team event feel to it. Again, contrived ex- exhibitions, that sort of it. That that would be my guess to it. I don't see why you would have competing tours going against each other week in and week out. Like here in a few weeks, you're going to have a live event the same week as the PJ Tour. If the public investment fund of the Saudis is investing both, why would you want them on the same weeks? Right. That would just defeat the purpose. So I think you'd get almost a fall series, winter series out of it. But again, to say that I have any sort of education on that, and I don't think anybody does. But I told you... 
last week when I was texting somebody on on tour, they were like, "Yeah, I have no idea what what the details are." By the I, way, I think they're they're even vague. Th- this is so funny to me, and I know we're up against it. Since when is standing up for your individual liberty of not getting a COVID shot selfish? I would not have pegged you as a liberal dictator, Jake. Individual choice is a right, not selfish. He expressed individual individual choice, end of story. I'm going to ask people to put aside their selective hearing and listen to what the hell I said, which was... <laughs> That's quite the way to start a Monday. Which was this, and listen carefully and closely. Maybe okay? a good day to have Greg Doyle on. What I said fact. was, I understand that it's a slippery slope I don't necessarily want to go down. But in the moment at that time, there are some people who might have seen that as him being selfish. And you're talking about... Novak Djokovic, by the way. Djokovic, when he – I can't even remember what it was. I think it was the Australian Open. He did. He wasn't vaccinated, so he couldn't play in it. And you were asking why he's not as popular as the others. And I simply said, in that moment, in a polarizing time some year and a half ago, where opinions were a lot different for a lot of people than they are now, there may have been some. Did I say I feel that way? Play the audio back and tell me where I said I feel that way. Tell me, Play the audio where I said that he was at fault for that. I didn't. I said, if you're asking, and if you think that that wasn't a reality in the way that people were perceived and the way things were ingested or digested or interpreted during the peak of that era, that was absolutely a polarizing line in the sand issue that many people took as one side or the other. And when anybody on either side of it spoke a case, they ran the risk of then having 40% or so of the population be opposed to them on one way or the other. I didn't say either way which way I felt about it. I'm saying there is undeniably a truth to the fact that it was a polarizing issue of which he took a stand and a side. I have no problem with with his decision to do it, but at that time, it was a polarizing topic. Thus, it would have been a factor in his popularity. What was the phrase? A liberal what? Um, A liberal dictator. Hmm. You could... LinkedIn, maybe, if you're looking for – you've been endorsed to be a liberal dictator. You can throw that up on your LinkedIn page if you're looking to refresh some things. Uh, transition here. Greg Doyle going to join us at 8 o'clock. Uh, first time we chat with Greg in probably about a month or so. I know we were mentioning last week about the um, current indie star, um, I guess, strike with no by, uh, none of their bylines showing up on stories. We'll chat with Greg about that. We'll certainly hit – a lot of sports. I am curious now that we're into week two with Isaiah Rogers. We haven't heard any punishment from the NFL on that. I think a lot of people, and I'm one of them, so hand raised, I would assume that he would just be cut by the Colts. I'm curious if Greg has thoughts on that or if the name recognition for Isaiah Rogers leads to some of my thinking on that. By the way, Pat Boylan at 9 o'clock. We are 10 days away from the NBA draft. I know Jake has mentioned this before. The Pacers having interest in trying to move up for Brandon Miller. What would that cost? What would it cost to go from seven to two? Um, I, I do think that trade package and trying to imagine what that would look like uh, could be pretty big. And so we'll uh, get Pat's thoughts on that coming up in the nine o'clock hour. little overcast, kind of misty driving in. I don't think that's supposed to last today, but certainly overcast and a little bit cooler than what we've dealt with here in the month of June. I'm Kevin Bowen. He's Jake Quarry. Sam Fritz filling in for Mark Dykton. You're listening to Kevin Quarry right here on a Monday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
All right, the Denver Nuggets, they are going for the 4-1 series victory over the Miami Heat tonight. 8.30 the tip from Denver. They are favored by 8.5 in this one. Jake, we didn't have a show, obviously, recapping game four because that occurred on Friday night. What Denver was able to do in Miami, both of those games, pretty darn impressive, especially with Jokic getting in some foul trouble there on Friday night. Yeah, and I mean, it, it certainly they flexed the muscle, right? And I guess we're at the point of saying for Miami that it was a heck of an achievement to get to this point. Uh, that's not to throw in the towel for them, but seemingly it feels inevitable, right, that Denver is going to win it all. And for Miami, who was hurt most of the year, um, showed great resiliency to get to this point. You say great season, and the, the Nuggets are just too strong. And the Nuggets have, what, four of their top six players under contract for the next, like, yeah. two years? Uh-huh. And, and they're I mean, big four. Yeah. You know, they're not too worried about. I was surprised to see this. I think it's 1-37, in 37, teams down 3-1 in the NBA Finals that have come back. LeBron's Cavs, what, 2016, 2017, the only team to come back. I was surprised looking at the NHL Stanley Cup final because that series is also 3-1, that the team up 3-1 is 36-1. Yeah, hockey feels like it's like the one that's more random, right, yeah. when teams come back. But it was a wild finish to game four the other night between Vegas and Florida. You had um, some Panthers fans throwing things on the ice at the end of that one. A couple of fights as it was a pretty chaotic end to that game. But Vegas, they will return home to try and clinch coming up tomorrow night as that series is also 3-1. NASCAR yesterday, Martin Truex Jr., your winner in Sonoma ahead of Kyle Busch and Joey Logano. Please give me a number 1 through 36 for yourself, Kevin. Uh, Let's go 28. Number 28, 28th uh, place finish was Eric Almirola. As a result, you get a lifetime supply of Smithfield. Oh. Is that the bacon folk? I, I, that's what I'm picturing. Uh, Sam Fritz, the number way, for yourself. I feel yourself. like I've mastered the 14, oven bacon. Please. Outstanding. Oven bacon? Put the bacon in the oven. Okay. So good. What number did you go, Sam? 14, please. 14 for Sam Fritz. Uh, William Byron. Um, oh, you've won a lifetime supply of RaptorTuff.com. I feel like if he went by Bill Byron, he'd be a bigger NASCAR fan. Uh, Mike Byron's uncle. Billy Look at Bi- that. Billy Byron. I knew we'd, we'd round it back. All right, give me a number board. for myself, 1 through 36. Uh, let's go with Rosie's birthday. She's number three. or She's three years old today. Uh, Joey Logano, as I'd mentioned, that means I get a lifetime supply of Auto Trader. Oh, perfect. Mm-hmm. Boo's going to be thrilled when you come <laughs> home and let him know that. Uh, Indiana State Baseball, their season comes to a close this weekend. They lost Friday night 4-1, Saturday 6-4. Uh, as their season comes to a close in the Super Regional, we're rounding out the eight teams in Omaha. Uh, right now, Oral Roberts, I think, would qualify as the biggest underdog out of that group. I think we still have a couple of game threes to go today to get to that eight team. Uh, but a hell of a season for Indiana State. And, Jake, I think TCU will have some rooting interest here from the state after what they did from a Special Olympics standpoint and raising money coming up this weekend. Yeah, Tens of thousands of dollars for Special Olympics raised by TCU, who got to host because of the Special Olympics taking place in Terre Haute. So turning a, a weird thing and making it into a positive for TCU. Uh, Major League Baseball, did you say the scores already? No, but can you lead off with my athletics? Sure. Oakland Athletics have won five straight. They they, they swept the Milwaukee Brewers. 8-6 winners yesterday. I mean, think about that. They have beaten the Pirates and the Brewers five straight. Jake? That's not JV. Wait till they start playing major league teams. Uh, those two teams currently one and two in the NL Central. <laughs> Excuse True. me. My athletics are hot right now. The hottest team in baseball. If they could just switch divisions, they'd be a player. Uh, Reds over the Cardinals 4-3 yesterday. It was the Giants over the Cubs 13-3. 
Cute fella over the Royals, 11-3, and the Diamondbacks of Mark Dykton, 7-5 over Detroit. Indianapolis Indians were rained out. What are the odds of this? The Omaha Storm Chasers and the Indians were rained out. Now, nobody was more thrilled of that than the Storm Chasers. I, I saw the Indians what had a, lost. What a catch-22 for them. Indians had lost five straight to the Storm Chasers, so maybe they were the ones doing the rain dance thinking, yeah, can we get the rain here so we're Clearly, not Clearly, the Storm Chasers are pretty good because they found the storm and it rained out the game. Right? Uh, Novak Djokovic, major number 23 for him as he takes the French Open in straight sets. The Fever split games this weekend. They are now 2-6 and six on the year. I feel like that kind of covers... Everything from a sporting standpoint. Looking ahead to this week, of course, Game 5 tonight, the NBA Finals, Game 5 for the NHL Stanley Cup Final tomorrow night, and the NBA Draft a week from Thursday. And on the Colts front, I'll be out there Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the mandatory minicamp of the offseason. We'll chat about that on the other side. Kevin Aquari, a little bit of an overcast start to this Monday here. A little chilly as well in Indy. 13 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock on a Monday. Good morning to you, Jake Quarry, along with Kevin Bowen. Sam Fritz here as well. It is Kevin and Quarry, 93.5, 107.5, the fan. Kevin, Colt's getting set for another OTA, as you had mentioned, and I'm curious from your standpoint. We, we have focused so much on Anthony Richardson, and we know that Chris Ballard knows that you focus a lot on wideouts which is another big topic that, that I think people are curious about. I do feel like they've got some decent pieces there. But the area now, now that you've gotten used to Anthony Richardson, maybe not used to it, but now that you've seen him and gotten an idea of him, the other areas of the roster or things that you would be looking for would be what? Well, certainly I think once this Isaiah Rogers situation plays out, what does cornerback look like? You know, you, you have a local angle there with Juju Brents, the second-round pick out of Warren, who – Wrist injury sideline him the whole spring. So what does he look like once he gets to camp? I think Darius Rush, a fifth-round pick out of South Carolina, is an intriguing name. And Kenny Moore, Jake, to me, he had the most disappointed season of any Colt player last year. I, I think Kenny Moore is going to bounce back. Um, but, again, he was bad last season. And this time last year, he was taking a very public stance with his contract. So you attract a bullseye, you better be able to handle that heat. And he did not do that last season. Um, going back to the wide receivers and the pass catchers, I brought this up a couple times last week, but I think one bummer to this spring period is you have not had Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, or Josh Downs in any of the three open OTA sessions we've been out there. And I assume that that would mean that those three have not participated at all this spring. And whether it's Gardner Minshew or Anthony Richardson, that's just a bit of a bummer. I mean, you're trying to create, obviously, chemistry and get reps with these guys. And for those unfamiliar with how the spring schedule works for the Colts, uh, they're done with OTAs, 10 OTA sessions in the books. Now, starting tomorrow, you will get a three-day mandatory minicamp, which basically is the same thing as OTAs outside of the voluntary versus mandatory part to it. Pretty much everybody that matters is already in the building, so I don't think that's too much of a difference in it but this is it Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Jake and they close up shop for a month and a half till Grand Park and training camp so I would say outside of Richardson I you know corner but then also I think um it's just a little bit disappointing from a pass catcher standpoint that you have not had continuity there because I think your passing offense more than any other unit rushing offense passing defense rushing defense 
that aspect to the game has let the Colts down more than any other here in recent years. Yeah, I um, I'm curious, like, in your opinion, Kevin, when teams have, I I think part of the off season workouts, OTAs, that kind of thing, it, you know, it's like summer chapter, right? When you were in in college and like in a fraternity. You come back, well, we got to have summer chapter, and it's more than anything else. It's an excuse to get everybody together to hang out and catch up and party and whatever else. From an NFL standpoint, I think a lot of it is just kind of forcing an accountability and not letting guys get too far out of rhythm. They got to come back, and, you know, and this is it safe to say so the next team event is when? So they'll have this three day mini camp Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then everybody goes their separate ways for about a month and a half. We should get a training camp schedule, I would hope, sometime this week. But I would shoot for for those that are trying to look to late July, even into August, for potentially going out to Grand Park to watch the Colts. I would guess in the July twenty fifth, twenty sixth range, which is a Tuesday, Wednesday, that is when training camp should begin. Now I, I will say, Jake a good thing I think selfishly and for Colts fans that I guess will develop tomorrow starting tomorrow the Colts will not have a practice closed to the media until probably late August so from a and I'm not saying the Colts are doing this at all but if you are wanting to kind of hide Anthony Richardson reps which the Colts could have done that if they would have liked to do over the last couple of weeks, they won't do that, or they can't do that anymore because the media gets to watch all these practices this week, and then starting, obviously, in late July, not not only does the media get to watch every practice, but fans get to watch every practice of training camp at Grand Park. So the days that we've been out there, which has been one open OTA each of the last three weeks, it's been Gardner Minshew at least the last two weeks that has taken all the starting reps. So if that trend continues, we'll obviously be able to observe it and not just have to go off of Shane Steichen's word. Uh, Jake, Greg Doyle is going to join us here in a few. And a question that I want to ask Greg, and I'll throw it to you right now. Isaiah Rogers. My opinion, Jake, is you cut him. Whenever you get to the end of this you know, legal aspect, legal aspect is probably too strong of a word, but whenever the investigation ends, and if the evidence is what the initial report says, you go ahead and cut him. How many players on this roster would not get cut, given their name? Like, Isaiah Rogers is a fringe starter. He's in a contract year. How far on the list would you go to not cut a player that has had these offenses and let's say it is played out to where he is guilty of these charges? Well, I don't know. In Isaiah Rogers' case, Kevin, I don't know that that's going to be determined by the Colts. If the league comes out and says, look, we now have evidence that he bet on games in which he was playing and he is therefore banned from the league, which I think is going to happen. So you think banned from the league? Did Calvin Ridley bet on the Falcons? He was banned for a year, right? Yes. Uh-huh. How many times did he bet on the Falcons? Yeah, I, I don't I, – I, if I remember correctly, I feel like he was throwing them into like these massive parlays of like, yeah, I'm going to bet on the Falcons to win with like seven other teams to win. Right. Um now, it's if he's a, betting against the Colts, it's a good then question. I can see him it's a good question. Um, every team in the league touts themselves as the most scrupulous. Like, does Alec Pierce get cut? And and scruples come down to oftentimes how good the player is, 
right? I mean, when I when I was a kid growing up, all I talked about was how Indiana basketball helped was we we do things differently. Bob Knight holds to a different standard. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, he also held Jay Edwards to a different standard than he held Mike Giomi. Um or the other way around, I should say. So I, I think part of that is, in fact, to your point, de- determined upon the player. I would say there are probably with any franchise, realistically, four to five players that are going to get a further examination than an immediate knee-jerk cut. Does that make sense? And in the Colts' case, who would they be? I, I mean, the character of the player in terms of how they are as a teammate probably factors in as well. I think there are a lot of things that go into the equation. Right. Um, but immediate knee jerk would say Quentin Nelson, Shaquille Leonard, probably Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, Anthony Richardson get they exhaust all avenues before they make a cut than they do a fringe player. Right? And I know people could look at the Lions situation, which we had Dave Burkett on who covers the Lions last week, and Jamison Williams, who was by far the best player of the handful that got caught doing this. He suspended for six games but did not get cut. They actually cut some some of those five guys. It should be noted in Williams's case, the report was that he bet on a college football game at a team hotel. So, you know, when you are ranking kind of the magnitude of the offenses, that would seem to be kind of low on the radar. Again, team building, team bus, team plane, team hotel, all of those qualify as something that you cannot do. Uh, but obviously betting on Alabama, for example, where Jameson Williams went to college, uh, to me is a little bit different than you know betting on your own team or doing 100 of these bets in regards to the NFL. So we will await clarification on Isaiah Rogers. Again, a three-day mini He was not out there for what it's worth last week at the Open OTA session. Kevin, was Ridley – somebody pointed this out. Was Calvin Ridley playing in the games that he was betting on? Uh, I think he was on injured reserve. Okay, that that also is a factor. The fact that Isaiah Rodgers may be the first player that was wagering on games that he directly could influence, even in one way, shape, or form. That's a really good point. I mean, that's a – it would not surprise me at all if Isaiah Rodgers is – I don't know about permanently banned from the NFL, but I'll bet he is given at least, at minimum – a a one-year and I'll bet multi-year ban from the NFL. And just so people know, Isaiah Rogers played in 15 games last season. He missed the final two, which if you remember the final play of the Houston game, it looked like there were some Colts players tanking on that play, on that Hail Mary by the Texans. Rogers was not on the field for that play. Um, so he played in 15 games and started nine. So he was on the field a good amount. On the field a good amount last season. All right, Greg Doyle, columnist, Indianapolis Star on the other side. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Back from what I believe was a vacation, Greg Doyle from the Indianapolis Star. Greg, you were off last week, correct? I was off. I was off. Thank you, yes. That is quite the uh, week to miss just from a, wow, we didn't expect those news items to be trickling out in the first week of June. I would think first week of June would be a very smart week to go ahead and take off, but for a local market without a Major League Baseball team, uh, you now walk back into work with some newsy items on your desk. Yeah, and as an FYI, um, I picked, I'm picked. i taking another week off later in July, and I chose the two weeks I chose 
for one reason only. There's a there's a place in Whitestown called the Greyhound Resort, which is what it sounds like. It's a it's a boarding facility for greyhounds, and they're popular. They're awesome, and they get full. And I asked them like three months ago, when do you have available? They had no weekends available all summer. So like when in the middle of the week? And I anyway, last week was week they had available. I'm with my dad, and he's he's not doing great health wise. So that it was weird to feel guilty that I wasn't working because I had to be with my dad. I'm there with him, you know, in a rehab facility. But yes, you're right. Things are happening. I'm like, this is the wrong week to be off, but you know, it's the right week for my dog and for my dad. Certainly thinking about your father um, through all of this, Greg. Appreciate the time here on this Monday morning. Um, from what you gather on the Isaiah Rogers story, just your general thoughts on it, and then a question I threw to Jake a few minutes ago, and I'll toss your way. Uh, how much does name recognition have to do with this? Basically, how many Colts players would you go down the list that would not get cut before Isaiah Rogers potentially gets cut because of this? Not just name recognition, but, I mean, I know what you mean. You're, you're saying it all. I mean, he, the, how about position of need and position of no depth? He is their, possibly their best cornerback. I mean, that's how, I mean, maybe he's clearly got to start. That corner and he and he is their cornerback with the high, highest ceiling. We don't know yet what he's going to be. So yeah, I don't I don't see him getting cut for for those reasons. And listen, the Colts have have almost never. I mean, every, every team you put fifty three or or more young men, young human bodies in a building, some of them are going to screw up. And so the Colts have had some issues just because that's human life. But they don't go looking for people with issues. They don't explain it away. You know, so I, I want to cut them a little bit of slack. It, if and when they keep Rodgers. And I'm not saying they should cut him. I don't know enough about it yet to know. But anyway, long answer, yeah, his ability to play a position where they have a big need is going to help him out a lot. Otherwise, um, there will be people that, because there are always people, that it doesn't, it doesn't matter how clearly wrong something is, and this is not wrong in the sense of someone got murdered. I get it. But it doesn't really matter in this day and age how, how wrong somebody is. If you've decided that it's okay to do whatever, then it's okay for everybody to do whatever it is they're doing. So gambling, everybody, everybody cool does gambling. Everybody, everybody with a cool radio show and a YouTube show and an ESPN spot, and I'm sure you guys, you know, it's all about gambling, and I, and I get it. And I'm not trying to hurt anybody's pocketbook, but um, gambling scares me. Not for me, but this is an example. Here's, here's a small example. Here's a little bitty window into America's soul that NFL players know. They know. And they've had a lot, a lot at stake. Isaiah Rogers, over the next 10 years, has millions at stake. If he can't stop himself from gambling on his phone, if he, if, if he can't do that from gambling on his phone in the facility, the only rules are don't gamble in the facility and don't gamble on the NFL. If he can't stop himself from doing that, if that's how powerful gambling can take a hold on some people, and that's what I think we've seen, it shows you what you need to know. Gambling is, is terrifying, and it's on, on our phones just way too damn easy. Greg – my opinion, I don't know any more than anybody else, but based on precedent, my opinion is that Isaiah Rogers isn't going to play in the NFL for at least a year and maybe two. And when you are unfortunately a fringe player, that becomes very difficult to, to, to come back from just because of the time away kind of takes you off the treadmill, so to speak. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And not only is he a fr- is he a, you know, he's a- in some ways, he's a French player in that his technique hasn't caught up to his athletic ability. So while he's not going to lose a step while he's out, you know, he's he'll be however old he is now, he'll he'll be just a year or two older, and I don't think it'll be that long, Jake. I'll t- tell you in a minute why. Um, he's not going to lose his key thing is his speed. He's not losing that, but technique. He's still picking. If he had great technique, he'd be a star, right? Because he's got 
he's long and fast and fearless. He's got everything you need, but but he went to I think it was UMass. He doesn't have technique yet, and you can't get better technique sitting out for a year or two. So I, it's like being a hitter in baseball. Without the timing, you don't get better resting in baseball. Now, we don't know yet what he's done unless you guys know a little bit more than what I know, which is what I've read, which is I think he bet in the facility. And I, we haven't read he bet on NFL. I mean, how can you? It's, it's June. So I, I don't know. You know, we've seen we've – Well, seen but, th- but this wasn't – this didn't happen in June. This was investigated – He, my understanding is he was made aware of an investigation in February. The initial report was that he bet on Colts games. Oh, no, no, no. Is that what the report is? Yeah, yeah. multiple uh-huh. times. You – then he's gone. Sorry, you're gone. Yeah, you're I mean, that's what I mean. Like, I can't see him playing. The precedent, Greg, would be, and again, I want to make sure that we're clear here, Greg, to protect Kevin, me, you. I mean, this is all conjecture or early initial reports. None of this has right. been Which Rodgers did not debunk or decred. And is so I'll, I'll back this up, Greg, just for people that are listening, actually. Um, a week ago today, as a matter of fact, I got a tip. And, and you know, Greg, Kevin knows, I mean, we get tips a lot. 10% of the time it turns out and you go, oh, wow, there is something here, right? But this is not New York City. It's not a huge town. So people, you know, there's a lot of intersection amongst people here. So I got a tip from somebody saying, hey, there is a player on the Colts that is about to be outed for an NFL gambling investigation and the Colts have not yet been made aware of it. But the player has told people in his inner circle, and I'm like, really? And they said, yeah. And then literally by 4 o'clock that afternoon, it came out that there was, in fact, an investigation. And the rumor was it was Isaiah Rogers. By 8 o'clock that night, Isaiah Rogers issues a statement on Twitter saying, I'm sorry about what I did. I made a mistake. I couldn't, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to live with whatever. And then that report that came out, so, so far, the report, like, is corroborated because Rogers has said, it's me, it's me. And then the report said the investigation includes, what was it, Kevin, like upwards of, I can't remember the number of bets. It was about 100 bets, uh, 25 to $50 range. But that it did involve Colts games that he played in. Now, Calvin Ridley was suspended for a year for wagering on games that included the Falcons in a parlay, but he was not on the active roster at the time of those wagers, as I understand it. Rodgers was in the games in which he was betting, allegedly. People listening, there will be some, and so I'm talking to you. There will be not you, Jake. I'm talking to them. There will be people listening, saying, "Well, I'm sure he bet on the Colts to win, and he, and he probably did. I mean, he did." If yeah, not, no, I think that's I think that's accurate. Right. If if you ever bet, if if anybody bets on their own team to lose, you can never play that sport again. But if you bet on the team to win, people will say, "Then what's the problem? He's just being confident." Well, here's the problem, and, and we don't know. We don't know. But Pete Rose bet on the Reds to win. But there were games he didn't bet on them to win. Correct. And that's what I've always so we, said. In other words, he's telling his bookie, he's telling him something without telling him anything. Not that he's throwing it, just that with all my inside information, I don't think we're going to win this one. That's affecting things. And I don't know if Rogers did that or not. Maybe he bet on the Colts every single week. Maybe he did. Even though that's not an excuse. If he if he bet on the Colts, then sorry, Isaiah, you're gone and you're not coming back. And 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 Colts, you know, I, I spent the last I spent thirty seconds earlier excusing them. Uh, and giving them, you know, if they if they don't cut them, you know, cut it for for gambling in the in the facility, you know, cut the Colts some slack that they want good people around. And I'm not attacking them yet because they haven't had the chance that we don't know anything. But if the facts of the case show Isaiah Rogers bet on his own team, then his own team, I don't care who that team is, happens to be ours, better cut them or the Colts your problem. But one more thing about all this is it just goes to show, 
again, what I said earlier, how terrifying gambling is. He didn't bet one time, like, I got a moment of weakness, I'm going to hit this button. 25 or 50, and which is, you know, in other words, it's too easy. And then he bet on his own team. The one thing he knows, the one thing he knows, has to know, has been told, that this could end your career, and he couldn't stop himself. And I'm not saying because Isaiah Rogers did it, the whole league's doing it. No, but I'm saying, and Isaiah Rogers is not a cockroach. It's an analogy. Where you see one cockroach, where you see one problem, there's a million hiding in the hall, in the wall. So if Isaiah Rogers can't control himself, he's not the only one. Greg, my thought has always been this. I mean, in terms of like when you talk about, you're exactly right. It's not about the games he bet on. If he was betting on the Colts, it's the games he didn't. Right. And for me, the NFL. The National Football League, let's be real here, and you tell me if you disagree with this. The National Football League can scream from the mountaintops that they want to preserve the integrity of the game. The National Football League actually wants to wants to preserve the integrity of the wager of which their fans want to put on the game because they know gambling is the driving influence that brings the peripheral fan base into the league. Absolutely, they, and they can't afford to have Isaiah Rogers screwing up. They, they need people – there's a lot of people – in this day and age, that might not even be football fans, really. They're just degenerate gamblers, let's be honest. And they, they follow the NFL and they pay attention and whatever they spend their money, however they spend it, because of gambling. So, yeah, you, the NFL has got a vested interest here. One more thing about Isaiah Rogers, and I'm guessing he's not listening, um, but I'm hoping somebody who cares about him is listening. Isaiah, you idiot. Um, you've got people in your inner circle that apparently aren't in your inner circle because good for you, Jake, for getting the tip. But someone in your inner circle spread the word to the point that it reached Jake Query's ears. So, Isaiah, you're an idiot. Um, whoever you think you can trust, you can't trust them. And, by the way, put your phone down, son. Greg Doyle from the Indianapolis Star with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We appreciate him joining us here. Uh, Greg, this now goes back, I guess, a couple of weeks, but I did want to get your opinion on this. I thought um, – Zach Brown, the head of McLaren Racing, who obviously we watch how their team has emerged here over the last few years in IndyCar, and I think if you were kind of bet on a team over the next five to ten years, they'd probably be one to to bet on. You were pretty aggressive in your stance on Zach Brown, and correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe not you know, good for the sport or certainly is doing some things in a way that is not typically done and that's not in the best interest of the sport. Um, curious your thoughts on what Zach Brown means to the future of IndyCar with his ownership of McLaren Racing? Well, it all comes down to what you think about the idea of all publicity being good publicity and, 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 and really how far you as a consumer are willing to allow the sport you care about to stoop to get that attention. You know, it's, uh, there are ways to get attention that are good. They're, they're, anyway, so that's, Zach Brown is that guy that makes you wonder how – he's on that continuum. Do you care enough about your sport – um, being, doing it the right way that you don't want this guy because he's stabbing people in the back. He's trying to steal. I mean, blatantly trying to take drivers. My story laid out. He tried to do that, like p- things that people don't even know. He was trying to get. He was using the media years ago to try and get St- Scott Dixon, like away from. Uh, I think it was Ganassi. Zach Brown will, will. I'm not sure how low he'll stoop. We we don't know yet. We haven't found. He hasn't hit his bottom yet. But if he keeps getting rewarded with great drivers and. And, the, the, you know, it's going to keep happening. And, and one thing about Zach Brown, you know, money talks. And I didn't put this in the story because, um, you know, I knew the story would be that people would have enough reason not to like it anyway just because people don't want to be told, wait a minute, my, my guy's not a good guy? You're wrong. And you know why you're wrong, Doyle? Because he's my guy. Therefore, he's, a, he's good. Okay. What, I can't argue with you there. Uh, but Zach Brown's money, McLaren's money, do you know who funds McLaren? Do you have any idea? And, I mean, it's a rhetorical question, but do, do you know? Because I'll tell you if you don't know. 
No, I do not. Their money comes from Bahrain. It's just another example of they've got deep pot. Well, don't don't hate the player, hate the game. I hate all of it because their money is like the live tour. You've got deep pockets because it's coming from a place that we don't need to be getting money from. But, you know, it helps us win, so let's look the other way. Principles are so easy to have. They're so easy to have until you got to actually have them. And then those sons of guns are hard to have. And Zach Brown's got no principles, and i got no time for that. I will say that Zach Brown, in terms of Greg talking to drivers while they're under contract, trying to pluck drivers away, conversations in back rooms about next year when this year is still uncertain, et cetera, uh, that has been in racing, and I'm not saying that makes it right. Isn't that in sport? In racing, that's every single team on the grid does that, and that's been since the beginning of time, right? The one thing for – and I don't know if it's McLaren. I don't know if it's Zach Brown who comes from a marketing background. I don't know if it's Arrow. But I will say during the month of May that, you know, I, I, I'm – I come from the era, I'm going to sound like the old guy here, on, but I come from the era where I remember in the month of May going into every grocery store anywhere around Indianapolis, and it was ubiquitous, the Indianapolis 500, driver promotions and appearances and whatever else. And I don't know any team that does that better right now than McLaren, Aero McLaren, at least in terms of promoting, marketing, and getting their drivers out front. Um, there's no doubt that Zach is a polarizing rod. I mean, you are you are exactly correct in that, and I think there probably was no shortage of people to talk to in the paddock that would have backed you up on that, Greg. I'm assuming that there were probably a lot of people. You probably had 50% that came up and said, hey, thanks for writing that column, and 50% that came up and said, you know, stick to ball and, and stick in ball sports. You know what I mean? Because he's yeah. a polarizing figure. Yeah, that, that's how it goes down. Um yeah, I, I, that, what you're talking about is true. He and I wrote the story. He's a brilliant marketer. Like he was, a, he was an okay driver. I mean, he was good enough to be a pro driver. So he's obviously good. But in the world class scheme, he wasn't world class, I guess, at that level. But he's a brilliant marketer. And now that he's got deep pockets, um, he can do his marketing. And your marketing only works if you actually get names involved. So he does his marketing and then he throws money at people. And so it kind of looks like it all works. It's a perfect storm. Another reason, really the reason, and I haven't mentioned this yet, the reason I went after Zach Brown, the reason. Is I don't really, I mean, I care, but because I'm not an IndyCar, like I don't love it like I love, for example, the UFC. So I care about it, but it's not my, it's not my baby. Um, am I going to write that story just because of Alex Pelou? I wrote about, in fact, I wrote about Alex Pelou last year when that whole contract thing happened, and I actually took Zach Brown's side and, and, and Ganassi's side. I basically said Alex Pelou, his management, because you go back and look, he's represented by one person who, who represents like two drivers. So if someone screwed up along the way, it was Alex Pelou. And so I, I, was, I had Zach Brown's back. A little bit back then, but not anymore. But am I going to write this whole story because Zach Brown is is flirting with uh, Marcus Erickson and, and saying I don't know why Ganassi can't come to an agreement with Marcus Erickson? You think? No, I don't care about that that much. But what I care about is Indiana, and what I care about is Indianapolis, and what I care about is Whitestown, which can, actually where my dog was boarding. But that's a total coincidence. But but McLaren came to a deal and announced it. With Whitestown, they're going to put a – I forget the number now. I think it was $150 million, some huge million-dollar facility that was going to have 125 or 200 jobs in Whitestown, uh, forward, forward you know, progressive jobs. And it was such a big deal. It was such a done deal that, they, that Whitestown put out a press release. And Zach Brown put out a press release, his, his company did, and they quoted Governor Holcomb. Like, this wasn't a rumor. This wasn't worth thinking about. This was, we're doing it. Zach Brown used the word commitment. This demonstrates our commitment to Whitetown and Indianapolis. 
Those are words that Zach Brown's people wrote. And then he just never broke ground. And then he found out that the grapevine, wait a minute, Andretti's, they're selling theirs. Wait a minute, they're, they're going to move their shop. You know what? Let, let's back off on this and let's just be quiet and let's not, let's not issue a press release. Let's not do anything like that. We only issue press releases when it helps them. Let's just shut up and bide our time and then we'll take Andretti's thing and we'll just slink away from Whitestown like it ever happened. Do you think that makes me, do you think that makes me think, Zach Brown, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt anywhere? I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt anywhere. Greg, Jake and I spent just a couple minutes on it last week, um, but we were hoping to you could kind of touch a little bit more on it here today with us. Um, we see that you, you, your paper, the Indianapolis Star, part of, I, and again, feel free to educate the hell out of me and, and our audience with this, sure. going on a strike from Gannett, which is the parent company of the Star, in that removing bylines from your guys' stories. I would think for you in particular, I certainly know of people that literally – subscribe to the star just to read you i would think your byline would matter a whole lot when i'm reading a story uh, on the indianapolis stars website or in the hard copy um certainly uh, so just could you educate us a little bit and offer any opinion on what you guys are doing and your thoughts on it yeah and i hope you don't mind i won't hijack your show for the next 12 minutes nothing like that but but i'd like to make two different comments and i'll, I'll make the first one and then pause and let you guys whatever you want to say and there's there's two elements here there's a big picture element and there's a me element, and there just is. And by the time I'm done, you'll explain that. But the big picture is it's not a – we're not using the word strike. Okay. You know, we're just not. We're, it's, it's a byline protest. I mean, you can say whatever you want, but it's a byline protest. Um, and people will wonder, why are you doing that? When we've not – for a whole week, no bylines. And I was off last week. Now, they asked all of us about a month ago, hey, we're going to do this, this byline protest. Are you involved? And they asked me, and like, yes. Like, and, and they're actually – the guild people were surprised for the same reason you just said, like, you're going to do this. Yeah. If we're doing this, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm part of the team. Let's go. So why are we doing this in a nutshell is that we've had the same collective bargaining agreement for three years and Gannett has almost refused to come to the table. Have they come to the table a little bit? Yes. But you know, you can make it so difficult that it's almost impossible. It, it's not been, it's not been, they, they're, they're being smart about it. They're like, ah, we can't come to agreement if we can't find a time to get it done. So for three years, we've been on the same CBA. Imagine Major League Baseball, the NBA, having a CBA that expired three years ago. No, no, no pay raises, despite the biggest inflation we've seen since, I don't know, the 70s. Um, all kinds of lack of protections. Uh, obviously, people are losing their jobs left and right. We've done all kinds of little things, little actions. People will wonder, why, why a byline protest? Um, well, we've done a lot of little stuff, and if you haven't noticed, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but if, you, if, if no one's noticed, then that proves the point that it hadn't worked. This has gotten attention. Uh, we've had we had a byline session. I mean, a bargaining session last week that was just coincidental. It was it was just timed, kind of like I was off last week when all this news broke. It was just when my Greyhound Resort had an opening. We we actually had a, a session last week, and there was we, we feel okay. You know, we we'll see what happens, but we feel okay. Uh, so we don't know if the byline. It's, it's kind of like in COVID wearing a mask. Do you know the mask helps? You don't know, but it's a numbers game, and you you think it might, so you keep doing it, right? Um, same thing with the byline protest. We we think it might be helping. Uh, we know it's generating attention. The IBJ. Um, act local Axios, a TV station, a lot of people, you guys. I mean, people are talking about it now. There's not going to be breathless updates, um, so I'm not. Day nine of the Daily Star byline project, no one's. There's going to be none of that. We've raised awareness, we've raised attention. We think it might be helping, so that's why we're doing it. My concern, um, I'm, I'm Greg, <clears throat> and and yeah. let me let me preface as I said on Twitter with this. I my first job essentially in media, getting my dipping my toe in the water was at the Indianapolis Star. I was an Indianapolis News and Star carrier when I was a kid. I have been friends with 
a lot of people at the star over the course of the years and have always with tremendous pride um, been thrilled that I've been considered by some of them to be a little part of the star family from way back when, when I was an infant within the industry and I 1000% support the, the unity of the writers of the star and the work that they do in, in their efforts against Gannett, a hundred, a thousand percent on board and will speak on their behalf any chance that I can. That said, the manner in which to me, and all I was asking was I didn't understand the intent and I get it. It's got people talking and maybe that was the intent, but my concern was this. The problem with big time corporate America is that you've got a bean counter in whatever state that is determining the fate of people that that are working really hard in a totally different state because they own you know 150 newspapers. So if the clicks and the sales of the Indianapolis Star are the same in the week in which every article has no byline on it as it is the week in which the bylines are there, doesn't that force the corporation and the bean counter so far away to go, these people are interchangeable. What, what do we care who they are? It, we, we don't need people to see that Greg Doyle's writing this column because people didn't even realize Greg Doyle's the one that wrote it and they still bought it. So what the heck do we care who's, who's doing anything? Re, get rid of them and replace them with somebody else. They're interchangeable. To me, that's my concern. I hear that. I totally hear that. Um, the, the question is, the, the, I mean, and, and you like to think people recognize quality. Like the, having a name on there, having not name on there, it's fine. But the, the the stories are not interchangeable. They're written by the same people. It's the same quality. You get rid of – like we've won one Pulitzer and should have won a second. We won a Pulitzer in the last three years, and it wasn't the Larry Nasser stuff, which is mind-boggling to me. That's one of the most important stories in the last 50 years. We, we took down a serial predator. And so anyway, I, I'm not bitching about not getting a, a whining about it, not getting a – what do you call it? A, a Pulitzer, but we should have two in the last five years. So – we're not interchangeable um, as it relates to me because um, it does relate to me. There, there's kind of like there, there's the company won't run an opinion piece, which is what I write without a name. And that's their, that's their, that's their prerogative. And I understand that because it looks like this is an indie star editorial and that's no good. So they're not running my stuff without my name. With this byline protest happened last week, I happened to be off just coincidental timing. It's happening this week, and it's continuing indefinitely. In fact, we put out a statement uh, on our Indie Star uh, Facebook Guild page, and we're going to be tweeting that out, just explaining what we're doing, kind of like what I'm doing here with you. We're, we're going to try to explain it to people because they might be if – if they've noticed, if they wonder what's going on, well, we, we wrote it and we explained it. Um, but they're not running mine without my name on it. So I had, I've got two choices, and this, this byline protest will go on for two for – I mean, I, I about to say two weeks. I don't know. It's indefinite. One week, it's already been one week. This is week two. It could be week three or four. So in my case, my choice is this. I can either not work at all because they're not going to run my stuff. So it's basically I'm waging a one-person work stoppage because of the guild's action, and I'm a member of the guild. That's one choice. My other choice is to write with my name on it. Those are my only two choices. So break ranks with the guild, so to speak, and put my name on it, or do a one-person work stoppage, uh, which doesn't help anybody. So I, I'm writing with my name on it this week, told the guild they understand. Um, I've got a story up right now. In fact, I'm Brittany Griner and the Live Golf Tour and how sports is no longer a distraction. Sports is now a mirror. Go take a look and see who you are. But I, I do other things behind the scenes just, just so I to make be clear. So, Like that story I, I mentioned that we're going to post, we have posted, I think, this morning. Um, I wrote it and put my name on it and was not nice to Gannett. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to be a team player, and yet 
the rules are different for me because I write opinion. So, it, but Jake, your, your larger point is, I mean, it's, it's, a good, it's a good point. What's going to work, what's not going to work. And also, it's such a big company, they don't want to give us breaks if it means, you know, some paper in, in I don't, I'm, I'd like to name a city that, like Billings, Montana. Let's say Billings, Montana doesn't, isn't going to, I hope it's not. They're going to tell us, we can't give you whatever you want, which is just a cost of living raise during inflation. We can't give you that because then Billings, Montana will want it too, to which I am going to, I'm going to hopefully try and get in the bargaining session in a few weeks. And I'm going to tell the Gannett lawyer, well, then you tell Billings, Montana, two things. You tell them to go get a Pulitzer and go tell, tell them to take down a serial predator and tell them to do what we do. And oh, by the way, what the hell, go tell them to get their own Greg Doyle. If they've got all those things, more power to Billings. Give them, give them that too. But in, in the terms of, in, as it relates to Gannett, uh, production, quality, everything. As it relates to Gannett, you know, it's Gannett is a football team. No, no, fifty-three players on the roster, and uh, we're Patrick Mahomes. No, I, I get it, Greg. I, I get it. Yeah. What I'm saying is, and listen, I'm not pretending to tell you anything you don't know. I'm saying this rhetorically, generically speaking, about corporate America, and that is when you work for a big-time corporate corporation that is based in a different city than where you are when it comes down to it you can take pride all you want in doing the best work and do it for yourself because you can and you can love your company and be a good soldier for your company and when it comes down to it some guy 1500 miles away sees you as five two three two five six and if your number's up your number's up and that's just the way it goes and i've been through it i've got i've got my masters in it and i'm just telling you you look back at everything else, and you're like, man, maybe I should have taken that vacation. <laughs> you well, know what I mean? Here's the thing. Principles are hard, until, you, as I've said a million times, until you've got to have them. And uh, I'm not one of those people, despite what I've just said. Like, I, I, there's a lot, you know, I've had to have principles in the last eight years since coming here, and no one knows about it, and that's fine. But principles are hard until you've got to have them, which is why I cut no slack for people like Zach Brown. I know what it's like to have principles. I know what it's like to have money thrown at you. I know what it's like to – there's an easier route over here somewhere there and i know what it's like to say you know what that's just not the right thing i'm not doing it and i'm not doing it not for me but i'm not doing it for a bigger picture so i, I don't principles are hard and we're trying to have them and we just would like to think that might meet us somewhere in the middle as greg said his latest on Brittany griner a little bit of saudi golf in there as well greg thinking about you and your father i uh, appreciate the time here on this monday oh don't, yeah we're gonna hang up before i start crying kevin thank you so much jake i appreciate you you're a friend of mine as well as long as other star people of course you know you are too kevin i'll talk to you later See you, Craig, Craig Doyle right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. We're up against it. Let's get to a morning check down. Major League Baseball yesterday, it was the Reds over the Cardinals 4-3. Giants all over the Cubs 13-3. Marks Arizona Diamondbacks 7-5 winners over the Detroit Tigers, but cute fella maintaining ground in our race for PBR. They beat the Royals 11-3. Athletics, five in a row. Swept the Brew Crew. Eight-six winners Hell yesterday. Yeah. And the Indianapolis Indians and Omaha Storm Chasers rained out. Make your own joke there about Omaha knowing. Omaha should have known, right, that it was going to be rained out. Ellie De La Cruz doing it again yesterday with the go-ahead run. That speed on full display. Entertainment value with the Reds right now, shockingly high. Uh, speaking of entertainment... <laughs> Game five of the NBA Finals tonight. The Heat need it to stay alive and try and force a game six. That would be Thursday night. It's an 8.30 tip from Denver, eight-and-a-half-point favorite. Jake, you go back to Friday night, game four. Uh, Miami had their moment. 
Nikola Jokic fouling, or gets his fifth foul. Michael Malone sat him for quite a bit of the fourth quarter. Uh, Miami could not eat into that lead at all. I think the thing outside of Jokic and Murray that's impressed me about Denver, and particularly what they did in Miami, Jake, they're kind of bench guys. Christian Braun, Bruce Brown on, on Friday night, huge. You get those moments from fringe guys that aren't used to that, that's, I think, what makes a champion, and it's my belief that I think Denver's going to get it done tonight. I would agree that certainly it is inevitable that they're going to – inevitable is the wrong word. I mean, there are people that would be overjoyed to see the Nuggets win it. But does feel like Denver's going to win the NBA title. They would become the second ABA merged franchise to win one, joining San Antonio, leaving the Nets and Pacers, who've both been to a final but not won one um, as the winless – teams coming over from the ABA. By the way, WNBA, last night, Fever losing to Phoenix, 85-82. Their last four losses by a combined Are they in the entertaining points. loss camp? They are, man. I mean, two and six, but like I said, their four losses, their last four of them, a combined 15 points. Yeah, they won on difference. Friday. Pat Boylan, by the way, going to join us coming up at 9 o'clock, talk some Fever and some Pacers. A couple other quick sports items from the weekend. The NHL is also at a 3-1 point of their final. That will be tomorrow night in Vegas as Las Vegas looks to clinch over the Panthers. Uh, yet Indiana State's baseball season come to a close in the Super Regional. They lost 4-1 on Friday, 6-4 on Saturday to TCU. So a hell of a run for the Sycamores, but it comes to a close there uh, just short of Omaha. And then yesterday, Novak Djokovic winning major number 23s, the first player in men's tennis to win uh, each of the four majors at least three times. With that 23rd major victory, he passes Rafa Nadal on the list. And I think he's one short of Margaret Court or maybe Serena. I forget overall in tennis when you combine women and men. If I'll he, tell you, if he's from at that a men's standpoint, it feels like you go through a period where you're like, Nadal's the best of the era. Then you go through another period where like, no, 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 actually, it's Federer's the best of the era. And then, you know, like right now it's like, no, 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 Djokovic is the best of the era. I mean, we're talking about three. And then a women's side, obviously, with, with Serena and Venus both. Obviously, now Serena has overtaken that. But um, it's been a kind of a golden era of great players. But because of the fact that the three on the men's side are not American, I guess it's caused kind of a – Lack of interest is maybe the wrong word, but a lack of focus on it. I mean, I know the sheer numbers would say Djokovic is now the best if you just strictly look at major wins. But, Jake, if he continues to do this as he's turned 36, and now you put the longevity carrot on top of all of it, he's got to be viewed yeah. as the best. I mean, it's it's hard to argue for sure. Uh, when we come back, I have a question for Kevin where I'm curious if looking in the rearview mirror doesn't give him focus on what's ahead for the Colts and OTAs. I'll ask him about that on the other side. It's Kevin and Corey, 93.5, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Kevin, you just got done watching how many days of OTAs for the Colts? So we watch one a week, so yeah, three total. Then this week we'll be able to watch all three days, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of their minicamp. Okay. Now in, in that, you would say, and, and again, it's... OTAs, offset, 
I, you know, I'm aware of the fact that we are a long, 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 long way from games being yeah. played. However, June 12th. however, you have a highly drafted quarterback that the keys are going to be handed over to in time, and we are aware of the fact that they are going to be handed over in time to Anthony Richardson. The number of sna- by percentage when the quote unquote first team unit was out there. Anthony Richardson was taking snaps what percent of the time? 20, 25. Okay. Now, Shane Steichen, Jake, because I asked him this question following, when was I last out there? I think Wednesday, last Wednesday. I go, Shane, we've been out here the last two times. It's been Gardner Minshew taking every single rep. Does that mean that Gardner Minshew is starting to emerge? Is there something to read into that? Because we were told they would split. And Shane, you know, very matter-of-factly, Mary very directly said, no, 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 just these happen to be the days that you guys are out here. Tomorrow it could easily be Anthony taking the bulk of the first-team reps. So what they are telling us is that they are still splitting the reps even though the single days we've been out there, it's been Minshew here as of late. Okay. Now, and, and I apologize if I'm off base here, because I, I want to say that you were working for the franchise. I could be wrong. You were where in 2012? Yeah. Uh, well, I just I graduated from IU in 2012. Okay. And you did you begin working with the yeah. Colts at uh-huh. that time? Yeah. Okay. What percentage of the OTA snaps was Andrew Luck working with the first team? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I – I know Stanford had the weird like quarter system, so he still had to like be at Stanford's for some of that. Uh, but I feel like he took every rep. Yeah, I mean, who was the backup in twelve? Was it Stanton? Drew Stanton was that his first backup? I think that sounds right. Yeah, I mean, Stanton would have been new to the team as well. I I think it was every rep when he was here. Yeah. So from the get go, and a little bit different, I realize. I mean, Andrew Luck was yeah, I mean, generational prospect. You know, you you released Peyton Manning for crying out loud. To, but, but my point being, there was zero doubt with Luck. So like people that think that Richardson, that this could be a Luck level, I think people in Indianapolis are a little bit jaded. This is the first time the Colts franchise. If you go back 50 years, they have drafted like inside of the top 10. They have taken a quarterback that theoretically was a hand the keys over to prospect. Burt Jones, John Elway, Jeff George, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, and now Anthony Richardson. That's your list. And they've had good success with, you know, Burt Jones was an MVP. Luck and Manning, it goes without saying. Elway, I think we know what happened there. Jeff George, as I've talked about, I, Jeff George had the misfortune of walking into the most dysfunctional period for the franchise in the franchise's history. So say what you want about Jeff George, but there were a lot of things that were stacked against Jeff George. And I think the Colts have learned from that. But the point being, this is fairly, for this fan base and this franchise, Kevin, the precedent is such that when a player is drafted at the quarterback position very high up, 
it's just expected like that's the guy just here's the keys and go and, and I do think with Richardson this is the first time that we have seen a future franchise quarterback that still comes with work yet to do with like batteries not included every other every other time that the Colts went out and got themselves a quarterback in the first round for this fan base to have precedent to base on it was the toy was already assembled this is the first time where we as a fan base are going to watch the Colts sitting feverishly trying to put the toy together before the kids wake up on Christmas morning yeah and I would take a step further Jake and say the NFL has never seen a prospect like Anthony Richardson good bad indifferent everyone describe it he's the most unique quarterback prospect ever to be drafted in round one um and so Marcus Russell no one had 13 starts and 54% completion percentage and was taken four overall. Where I mean, was Trubisky? Uh, not at that level of a completion percentage standpoint. I mean, if you look at Richardson, I, I went back the last three years because I think the college game has really evolved and how pass-happy it is um, from a you know seven-on-seven seven standpoint and the infiltrate infiltration of that to the NFL game, if you look at the college game over the last three years, I think Richardson attempted over 300 passes this final season at Florida, which you know pretty much means you started every game. And if you look over the last three years of college football, guys that have attempted over 300 passes in a season, Richardson is dead last in completion percentage. Dead last out of the 170-some quarterbacks that completed or that attempted at least 300 passes in a season. So even when you look at the singular year starts, whether it was, and I don't know what Trubisky was from a percentage standpoint, but I'm willing to guess he was probably over 65 in his college years. And I know he didn't play at North Carolina for very long, but you just don't see guys drafted in round one, let alone four overall that have such an experience and such a poor completion percentage number walking into the NFL. But what the Colts are banking on is that they don't need to necessarily have him be a 65% guy. They think, obviously, they can improve him, a la Josh Allen or some of these other guys you can point to. They think they can obviously raise that number, but they think his big play, big play potential will offset the need to have him being a methodical 65 70% passer like a Phillip Rivers, like a Drew Brees, somebody of that ilk. So... I think it goes NFL-wide. I mean, yes, the Colts and their history of quarterbacks, certainly they've drafted a lot of guys high, and several of them, Jake, as you mentioned, generational. But we have never seen a resume walk into the NFL like this. And and I haven't even got to the the you know physical specimen that he is. Obviously, that plays into it as well from what he did at the Combine and the big arm and the big frame and all of those things. He's the most, and again, I'm not saying like he is the best or he's going to be the biggest bust, but he's the most unique quarterback prospect to walk into the NFL, I would argue, in league history. Okay, let me give you a couple of guys here that jump out. Um, 22 games started in college, 70% completion, 6'3", 214. That's Dwayne Haskins. I mean, and 22 I'm not, games just dwarfs 13, and you say 70%? Yeah. I mean, 70 okay. to 54%? How about, how about this one? 
I think the fire alarm they're testing again, by they, the way. They are. Would have been heads up would have been cool. Uh twenty three games, so which this surprises me. Here's a here's a decent comparison. Six five, two fifty. Twenty three games, I assume those are starts in college, a completion percentage of sixty one percent. That's Cardell Jones. And I'm not just trying to pick out big African-American quarterbacks. I, I want to be careful of that. I'm just trying to think of guys that didn't start a lot of games in college. I mean, right? Josh Allen, you go the flip side of it. He had the poor completion percentage, but again, he had the multiple years of starting. He also, Josh Allen also had, and this may be in, true of other guys. I mean, don't get me wrong. Allen, I the only reason I know this is because for whatever weird reason, I have no idea why it is, I actually like kind of follow Wyoming football. Josh Allen, between his junior and senior, or his second and third year, lost his entire receiving core. So his his completion percentage went – I mean, it, it, I'm sorry, after year one and then following that, his completion percentage dropped pretty dramatically year by year, but his the weapons he was throwing to also went away. And I think people factored that in. And he, I think some people that throw that sort of context at Richardson. Florida had a lot of drops. You didn't see any Florida pass catchers getting drafted last month or I guess now two months ago. And I think what the Colts bank on, and again, a lot of the NFL, it's, it's not like the Colts were just this outlier of a franchise that were gonna was going to take Anthony Richardson for overall. I think Richardson would have heard his name called very quickly after the Colts. But the accuracy element, it doesn't paint the total picture of he's got a big arm that is an accurate big arm. His struggles were like the zero to nine yard throws. So I think NFL teams and the Colts in particular look at it and say, guys, we're not worried about him making kind of NFL throws 10, 15, 20 yards down the field. He can do that. We'll get the footwork figured out. We'll you know, make sure that he can feel better about the simple throws, but he can already check the box of some Sunday throws. That plays into it as well. Don't you wonder, though, that the problem is what you're talking about in terms of what's going to happen in terms of his completion percentage. This is a you know, Frankenstein that you're building in the lab. The only way to truly know how well your assembly is working and how well your experiment is working and how well it's going to be once the batteries are included is to get him out there to play games. Sure. And how many game? And then there's the, the the slippery slope that they've got to figure out of how many games do you have him play before you make a determination, and how many games can he play and get rattled before his confidence becomes something that you never bounce back from. I mean, Baker Mayfield's a prime example. Once once it started to go south for Baker Mayfield. Johnny Manziel probably to an extent, even though Manziel was a knucklehead. But once it went south for Johnny Manziel in terms of defenses giving him different looks that rattled him, there was no coming back. Yeah, I think you had some off-the-field questions about both of those two prospects entering okay, the draft. Okay, then David Carr. Don't have. Yeah, I mean, Carr, certainly. And, and, you know, again, how much of that is offensive line? You right. Know, Carr was sacked, what, I think That's he was right. the yeah. most in NFL He history. never got a chance to get firm footing, and so then – at that point, you're just done, you know? I think so much of an argument about a quarterback's success in the NFL we don't pay enough attention to is how much you support him. Oh. The environment that you surround that guy with. Again, Peyton Manning walked in and had Tarek Glenn and Marvin Harrison already in the building. Peyton Manning had the same offensive coordinator the entire time he was yeah. here, right? And, and again, I'm not trying to carry Jeff George's water, but I'll carry Jeff George's water. Jeff George certainly did, as he would be the first to tell you, a number of things that, in hindsight, didn't curry favor for him. But Jeff George is on the sidelines with Bob Ursay rattling, raffling off who wants to call in the next play and calling in plays and, and 
Ron Meyer calling Jeff George over going, do you know what a double wag 32 is? Because I have no idea, but that's what Bob Ursay insists we run right now. I mean, what the hell are you going to do, right? Good. Great philanthropic. You, you, could, you, could, you could raise a lot of money <laughs> on that end. Uh, Pat Boylan, uh, how much will it cost to go from seven up into the top three? We'll talk with Pat Boylan here in about ten. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Pat Boylan going to join us here in a few. We'll talk about the Pacers' upcoming draft a week from Thursday. A little fever chat with the TV voice of the fever as well. Uh, Jay, kind of a fun little Zach Eady story here, all right? So we got the uh, state golf finals coming up Tuesday and Wednesday from Prairie View Golf Course in Carmel. Terrific golf course. Uh, Zach Eady spent Friday out at Coyote Crossing Golf Course, underrated course up in Lafayette, watching a member of the Zionsville golf team. That have, These two have become friends on Fortnite. Are you familiar with Fortnite, the video game? Yeah, that was a big deal a couple of years ago, right? Everybody was playing Fortnite. I know, and I guess it, I guess it maybe still is a big deal. Um, so this kid, who I believe is a freshman for the Eagles and played great in their regional, um, he told Zach, hey, man, uh, I'll be up in Coyote Crossing on Friday if you want to come out and watch. So there is foot four Zach Eady following 16 holes of high school golf in the boys' regional round. How many defending national player of the years do you think have ever spent four hours following high school golf? <laughs> That's pretty cool. Just a week and a half after. And it's not like he can really blend in, right? Yeah, I've been to a few golf matches in my day, Jake. been fortunate to play in a few. I don't recall many seven-foot-four humans out on the golf course. So shout-out to Zach Eady for the support of his video game brethren there and following the regional round. I did see um, – you see Purdue is going to play Arizona this year over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Do you see that announcement on Friday? Yeah, that was originally supposed to be in, was it Kansas City? And then the promoter backed out because they weren't sure that Edie was going to be in it. So now I guess this is a, the two of them getting back together and saying, let's do it anyway. So this is a little bit of an upgrade from Davidson, right? That's who Purdue played last year in that game. I mean, Crossroads Classic is done. This is the new thing, mid-December. Over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, uh, it will be Purdue and Arizona. So uh, that is a great matchup for yeah, those. That could be a top ten matchup. Yeah, for those that watched Arizona this past year, they've got the big dude still coming back. They had two big guys that were pretty good for them. Um, Umar Balo is back for them, so uh, it will be certainly a heralded matchup between him and Edie. Purdue's schedule. I mean, they've got Maui, which I think it's the best Maui field I've seen in years, and it's always a great field. They've got Arizona then here in this, I guess, pseudo-home game for them. And then they still have that Alabama game up in Canada. Caleb Love, by the way, ended up at Arizona. Remember that? Did he really? He's a pretty good player. At North Carolina, then they were saying like he, Michigan admissions wouldn't let him in, even though he committed to Michigan. Come on. It's the rumor. Come on. I mean, Really? Zach Eady and a friend a friend of his is a 15-year-old freshman at Zionsville over Fort. That's like Ron Artest level stuff, right? <laughs> really? Like, what's Ron Artest doing at the Zionsville game? Oh, he met these kids playing pickup ball at the Y, and so he comes out to their game. Okay. Hey, Jake, I'm obsessed with golf. I can't think of anything more boring than going to watch a high school freshman participate in the regional golf round for four hours. Well, now, what do you have against that sport kid? 
Well, nothing against the kid, I guess. Uh, I mean, hell, it's a hell of an accomplishment that he was a freshman participating in the regionals, and yeah, I believe Zionsville punts her ticket to state. Uh, it's more or less watching high school golf for four hours. <laughs> okay. Well, have you ever been to a high school golf match? Or golf in general. Um, I have not. The golf, the golf world, though, quite the headline yesterday. Do you think that tournament will be remembered for Nick Taylor making a 72-foot putt or Adam Hadwin getting tackled by security? Guard? Adam Hadwin getting tackled by security, which is awesome. <laughs> Absolutely awesome. Have you been watching some of the videos? Oh, it's the best. I mean, that dude comes around the corner. He looks like Lawrence Taylor, the Great security guard. Great form. Great form. Again, I don't know if a CFL team could use a uh, linebacker here to close out the season or whenever their season begins, but beautiful form on Adam Hadwin. Uh, we'll talk Pacers coming up on the other side. Again, week from Thursday, the NBA draft. What will it cost for them to move from seven up into the top three? We'll talk with Pat Boylan about that. Pat Boylan going to join us here in just a second. Did want to make sure that we plug this. Coming up in less than a month, this would be July 11th. It is a Tuesday. We, along with all of our shows that day, are going to be live at the Back Nine. This is a really cool golf entertainment place just, just south of downtown right here. You certainly have seen it if you've driven in that area, just I guess a little bit southwest of downtown for our fan golf outing. And it's going to be all proceeds are going to the American Heart Association presented by Franciscan Health. Plus, you got a silent auction that JMV will lead a little bit later in the day. 11 a.m., things get underway. But again, we'll be out there live kind of feeding into – the main event, you can have a foursome, which includes three hours of play. You get a lunch, fan swag, a special gift as well uh, for your participation in the event. So details up on our website. That's 1075thefan.com. I just retweeted the link to that as well. So Tuesday, July 11th, kind of a nice twist on, on what would be a normal golf outing. Uh, been to the back nine. It is an awesome, awesome place if you're downtown looking for uh, an event place for any certain any certain reason, definitely check it out. I'm most uh, excited, basically, just to. I mean, the golf aspect of it is cool. I love this allows for the golf enthusiast, but then also like someone like me, Kevin. Like I've never taken up golf, so I'm always hesitant to get involved in a golf, a true golf outing, because who would want to play with somebody that's going to slow things up and is way behind everybody else. Um, this allows for every everybody to be able to participate on kind of equal footing, if you will. Yeah, you know it's I mean? a fun event for all different levels uh, of golf. So, again, uh, Tuesday, July 11th for that. Uh, it's the Back Nine Golf Outing presented by Franciscan Health. Check out my Twitter page uh, or the fans' Twitter page for more info. Uh, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joining us now, he is Pat Boylan. Plenty of Pacers talk we can get to with Pat. I do want to get an update fever-wise. Pat, two and six on the year. It almost seems like, and certainly correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like they've been in the entertaining loss standpoint, though, of like super, super competitive games, uh, and then games you just kind of get away from them late. Yeah, and when you hear that, some tend to think, oh, well, you're just maybe painting a rosier picture of moral losses and all of that. But uh, when you think of where the fever have been the last couple of years, and gentlemen, as always, appreciate you having me on here this morning. When you think about where the Fever have been the last couple of years, I mean, they've been at the very bottom of the WNBA standings. They won five games last year in a 36-game season. They've been building the last couple of seasons with Lynn Dunn, the former head coach, now is the general manager. And she's been kind of building this team back up from the bottom. And 
where the fever are right now versus last year, the record might not stand out at two and six, but of their eight games that they've played, seven of them have been within one possession in the final two minutes. And this is substantial improvement on last season when the fever had just 36% of their games that fell under the category of a clutch game, which is if you're within five points in the last five minutes, 36% of those games fell into that last year. 88% of them, seven of eight, have fallen into it this year. Uh, You're closing out with a lot of young players, first-year, second-year pros, so I think there are growing pains to be expected in these tight games. It was the case last night. The Fever let a five-point lead slip in the final four minutes, which was disappointing. Um, But on a bigger picture, on a larger scale, you've got the number one overall pick in Aaliyah Boston, who's looking very strong. Uh, The number two overall pick from the previous year, Nalissa Smith, who has taken a next step forward. And so I think from a building perspective, you're seeing exactly what you wanted to from the Indiana Fever in these first eight games. From a big-picture perspective, Christy Sides, the new head coach, will tell you they've got to close out better, and I'm sure that is the message in the locker room. Um, But from a larger prism, uh, the Fever, I think, have taken numerous steps forward here in the early going, and I I think they've had the type of a start to the season that you would have hoped for considering how young this group is. And, Pat, my other question for the Fever before we get to the NBA draft with you, uh, in terms of Aaliyah Boston, you know, one of the things I read about her is that she may not be one of those players that totally jumps off the page at you statistically, but she's basically won and been a leader everywhere she's been and that that becomes contagious. Um, But it's difficult for a player to come in in their first year and right away establish themselves as the straw mixing the drink. Has she been able to do that? Is it very clear that she is the leader and that her example is going to kind of rub off in terms of that just winning nature? Well, I think it's very clear that right now she is a leader, which you almost never see from a rookie in any sport. I think that part of it's very clear. And also the poise that comes along with her. This is somebody that played at South Carolina, one of the biggest college basketball programs in a massive spotlight. She won a national championship. She won a national player of the year, two-time defensive player of the year. Um, And and it's a program that has as rabid of a fan base as any. So as far as coming in as a rookie, and I think this is something that we sometimes um, forget, is a lot of these women come into the WNBA as four-year college players that have played in big programs. It's different than the one-and-done NBA player that comes in. But she has as much poise and as much confidence and leadership as I've ever seen at a rookie NBA or WNBA, uh, at least in this city. And I think you nailed that just in terms of the type of player that she's going to be. But she had a game a week ago in Chicago where she had 25 points, 11 rebounds, and a putback with three seconds left that looked like it was going to win them a game. Unfortunately, Chicago had a shot late and won in overtime. But that was a game where she was dominant, and she was dominant in her sixth game as a pro. There are also games where she may not jump out in terms of the statistical box score, uh, but she's impactful everywhere. She's, she's a, a terrific finisher. She has the top field goal percentage in the entire WNBA as a rookie. Uh, she's a very good rebounder, a terrific rim protector, a good passer. She just does everything well and impacts every aspect of the game including some of her teammates, you know, players like Melissa Smith, who was drafted number two overall last year. She's finding life easier because Aaliyah Boston is on the floor. So she is as impactful on and off the floor, I think, as a rookie can be 
in any level of sport. And if you're the fever, this is a player, if not the player you're building around. And how she looks in a WNBA jersey and on a WNBA floor is massively important to the future of the franchise. And I think you would have to say by any metric uh, that she's passing with flying colors here so far. Pat Boylan is our guest. He's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. You, of course, hear him on the radio broadcast for the Indiana Pacers with Mark Boyle, as well as, as you can hear, the fever as well. Pat, let's switch to the NBA draft side of things. Uh, I had said a couple of weeks ago that I thought the Pacers were going to do, that they really liked Brandon Miller, that they were going to do what they could to try to take a look at that. I think that they have resigned themselves to the fact that that is not going to be in play. I think he is locked in probably at going number two to Charlotte. I think they know that it would cost too much to move into the range to get him. So let's just say, hypothetically, the Pacers stick at seven. In your opinion, is this roster good enough that the Pacers can simply say, we don't have to worry about best player available. There is a specific hole that we need filled, and we're confident in our other areas, a la point guard or you know whatever it may be, that we are going to hone in on what we need, which is probably a wing defender. Can they simply go, not best player available, but best player for the Pacers at that pick? I think very generically, I tend to lean yes on that answer. But I think part of it is because when you look at the potential pool, and I think drafting in this spot is pretty fascinating. The Pacers did something similar last year, sixth with Benedict Matherin. But it's not like drafting in the top three, where you can simply just stay there, especially if you're in the top two this year. You can essentially just sit there and say, who do we like and who do we want, and we know we're going to get him. Or if you're in the third spot, we know we're going to get one of two guys. You can't do that. But it's also very different from drafting 16 to 23, where the Pacers were for so many years, where you kind of say, look, we have to wait an hour to even have you know really any idea of what might be happening at our position. You can, of course, come up with forecasts, but that's a lot tougher to do at 22 than it is, you know, say pick seven or six. You're in a spot now where I think you can look at three or four guys, and perhaps it's quite as literal as this. I don't know. Uh, But you could come up, if you're the Pacers, with a list of four guys and say, these are we want one of these four guys if we stand pat. And you're going to get one of those four guys as long as you're being realistic with those four And so I think it's kind of an interesting spot to be in because it's sort of a middle ground between being at the top where you know who you're probably going to get and where the Pacers have been for so many years. And I think when you look at the type of guys that tend to be in that conversation, best player available, hopefully this is a positive. Hopefully we're looking back at this in a year or two and saying this was fortunate uh, where the Pacers were drafting. There just seemed to be a handful of guys in that position and the Pacers have had many of them to work out. So in general, I think that's the case. Although I, I, you know, I think if you had a a great shooting guard um, available, of course you're taking that. I think Tyrese Halliburton in the point guard, I think a true point guard is probably the only thing you're probably definitely not looking at, but because of the way, and at least as far as you can trust mock drafts, but I think when you're picking seventh, it's a little clear of a picture. Um, I, I think because of the guys that tend to be available around that, that tends to help that equation. I don't think it has to be such a harsh decision on best player available versus need. I think many of the best players available are in that area of Pacers need. Again, Pat Boylan with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Pat, when you look specifically at the needs for the Pacers this offseason, I mean, I think Kevin Pritchard and Rick Carlisle have been very public about, yeah, the 3-4 position that – you know, wing kind of stretch four, certainly defensive minded. That is 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 a of focus. 
What would you put second on the Pacers' need list based off the current roster? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I I think in general, um, you're probably looking at the center position and saying, okay, you've got a couple of guys there in in Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson behind Miles Turner, uh, where you're probably wanting to see what can shake out there. Although, again, if you get a top-level prospect, I don't think the Pacers are looking away from anybody. And as we just discussed, you're probably not going after um, a franchise point guard. And frankly, with what Andrew Nemhard showed last year, um, point guard probably isn't very high on that list. So uh, you maybe kind of draw a pencil through those two positions and say really anywhere else is area of need. And it, to me, part of the answer to that question is just how you define two, three, and four. If you're defining them very rigidly, well, if you don't need a three or a four, then maybe that next answer is getting some more depth at two. But I, I tend to, as I think most people do as the game has evolved, um, especially the three, four position tends to be kind of a floating position. I, I, look, I think you're after a stretch four, whether that's in the draft, whether that's via trade, whether that's in free agency. I think that's probably your biggest area of need. I think a wing defender is right up there as well. So that's maybe one and one A. But in general, more shooting, I think, is, is what 30 NBA teams are after. Wing defenders is what 30 NBA teams are after. And I think the Pacers are no different in that discussion. Pat, I know it's a hypothetical, so I apologize up front, but if you don't mind, uh, please entertain us here. Five picks for the Pacers coming up, 7, 26, 29, 32, and 50. If you were to try and move up from like 7 to 3 or 7 to 2, you know, we played this game with the Colts a lot this offseason in, in regards to their position. Would it take that entire draft haul plus a player? And, and, and what type of player? And again, you're not saying this player would be on the trade block, but what type of player would it take, do you think, to get all the way from seven to two or three? Yeah, these conversations are so interesting, but they're so challenging. And part of the reason they're challenging is because you hit a law of diminishing returns. You know, you see on on Twitter, well, if you just – some people think that it's like a math equation, right? Like if you're trying to get a nine player or a a nine out of ten draft pick on a one to ten scale – and you can trade a 7 out of 10 draft pick and a 4 out of 10 draft pick and a 3 out of 10 draft pick and add all those up, you get to uh, that 9 out of 10. It just doesn't work that way. And from a law of diminishing returns perspective, what I'm referencing is, you know, you, you, if you gave another team five draft picks, they probably don't have five spots to fill. And so they don't value perhaps those picks as high as if you were to trade each of them individually. And so – you know, this is, as you said, it's a hypothetical, and it's one that, you know, I don't really entertain personally a lot just because of the work that I do doesn't tend to involve what the Pacers might do on draft night. It tends to be more reacting and learning to what they do after the picks are selected. But just at face value, I would tend to look at that, and if I were in a position where the Pacers were second or the Pacers were third, and some team was coming to me with 7, 26, 29, 32, 50, um, I, I'm, I'm probably still sticking at two. So I think it does take a player and, and what that player takes, you know, t- to be honest, you're talking a little bit out of my wheelhouse now, and I'm not totally sure what type of player I would think, but one of the challenges is, and, and you see this all the time with, with trade rumors that come up on message boards and on Twitter and all that, you can't make like a six for one trade. You just don't have the roster space for that. So I think in general, the Pacers are very, very well set up if they want to be aggressive moving up. 
if they want to be aggressive moving back, if they want to take some of their draft picks and perhaps move them into future years, which would work better for their roster, if they wanted to take some of those draft picks and move them for an established player. I think there are numerous, numerous options here. And perhaps those include getting to number two or number three. Uh, Kevin Pritchard is going to be aggressive. In which manner he is aggressive, I think will be interesting to see. Um, I tend to think as you're watching the Pacers, they're more likely um, to move perhaps for an established type player or you know, maybe a little bit more around the fringes. It's great to have three first-round draft picks and almost essentially four, uh, but there's a, a, just a world of difference when you're talking about picking somewhere in the top six, seven, or eight and picking 26 to 32. But the Pacers also know with Andrew Nemhard you can get quality players in that spot as well. So I think in terms of the ability to move around on draft night, the Pacers, maybe behind like an Oklahoma City or something, might be the team that is best positioned to do something like that. I just don't know if it's going to be as dramatic as getting up to number two. But anytime you know you're with the Pacers and you think you know what they're going to do, you're typically in for a surprise. So we'll see. Pat, I can't recall. Pat Boylan's our guest. And I don't know how much you watched of the individual workouts or the team workouts that were done for players. But did the Pacers bring in Jalen hood Shafino? Was that was he one of them that was scheduled to work out for them? You know, I, I believe he was, but I will be honest with you, these oftentimes coincide at the same time as fever practices or on fever game days. So the draft workouts are not typically I don't think I've seen I his name yet. Yeah, the only reason I ask is because just generically speaking, I guess, but apparently he is if you believe these things, he has really helped himself in the workouts, and now there's talk that he could even go into the top eight. I mean, he's not a – I don't think that he is a skill set the Pacers are coveting, so I'm not trying to create that dialogue. I just know that IU fans are interested on where he might go, and I was curious if you had heard any of that same chatter that he has really helped himself. You know, I haven't. I think if you watched what he was able to do down the stretch of the college season, I don't think it would be shocking if that is, you know, the narrative that is circling – um, I, I don't know if, if he has been in for a workout. And like I said, these are, uh, unfortunately for me, not areas that, and, and typical workouts that I'm able to attend just because of what I do with the fever. So I'm not the most well-versed. And I will say this has been probably the most in-depth workout class the Pacers have ever had. I mean, they've been having a, at least a guy in every single day here for a couple of weeks. But, you know, as it relates to him, uh, to be honest, I'm just speaking of an area of ignorance I don't know. Um, when you watched him play at IU, I think it was easy to imagine he could have that upside potential. Um, as Kevin said, I don't. Now that I think about it, I don't think he has been in for a workout or is scheduled. Um, but I think he's certainly somebody that is is of interest to watch on draft night. Yeah, workout number thirteen today for the Pacers among the group. Uh, in town for that one, Oscar Shibwe from Kentucky, the National Player of the Year the year prior to Zach Eady, and Marcus Carr, who used to be at Minnesota, uh, transferred to Texas this past season. Uh, Pat, we'll end with this, going back to the fever, but tying it in, obviously, from a local standpoint. Um, I know it hasn't been a, a huge role for her, but what does Grace Berger start to her WNBA career look like? You know, I'll tell you this, it's so entertaining because – it's almost a direct parallel. When she checks into a game, if you're not looking at the scores table, it's, it's almost identical to what would happen when Lance Stevenson would check into a game. And that's all, you'd, you'd all of a sudden start... Same to antics to follow? 
<laughs> well, at least from a fan standpoint, she's she does it. She's the opposite of Lance from a personality standpoint. But in terms of you could be looking the other direction and all of a sudden you hear a roar when there's a stoppage of play. And for a split second, you go, what's happening? And oh, it's it's Grace Berger checking into the game. And she, um, you know, night in, night out has started to play more and more. I think she's getting more comfortable. I think what a lot of people don't always realize is the seventh pick in the WNBA draft in a 12 team league is akin to picking, I think somewhere between 16 and 22 in the NBA draft. It's just beyond the midway point. So a lot of people see the seventh pick and they think, Oh, how could the seventh pick the Pacers are picking seventh, right? Like how could that not be somebody that you're throwing huge minutes at right away? It's just different in the WNBA. That pick is very different. It's oftentimes a spot where you can get an impact player Um, But typically, it takes a little bit of time to get that player up to speed. And I think that has been the case with Grace, but she's wildly intelligent. Uh, You know, I think she's as smart as any player that I've seen come out of the college game. And, you know, I will just tip my cap to the IU fan base. and, And this is where I started the conversation. But I mean, she has such a massive following behind her coming into the WNBA. And this is something that, you know, you don't always see at the women's level, which I think is so encouraging to see is for a player like her to have a fan base like she does. She's been playing a lot of the backup two minutes. I think she'll continue to be in that 10 to 15 minute a game role this year, which I think is a good spot for her. It allows her to learn. She's playing late in some of these games as well, which I think is valuable. And I think the hope is long-term that she's an important part of what you do. But I've just, I've really enjoyed seeing the IU fans transfer over and I hope that continues to happen. Yeah. Again, entertaining losses. I know that some people might take that the wrong way, but the last four losses for the fever by three, four and overtime by five and then three yesterday to Phoenix coming up this week. Pat will be on the call Tuesday at home against Washington at third or excuse me at Chicago on Thursday. That's an eight o'clock tip. And then back home on Sunday, a little father's day matinee. That's a four o'clock game with Atlanta. Pat, I know it's a really busy time for you. Appreciate you making time for us here on this Monday morning. Kevin, Jake, appreciate it as always. Pat Boylan right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Entertaining losses, I think that's fair to say. Totally fair to say. Four games by a total of 15 points. Sticking around, you're in it. Early in the rebuild. You got to take your lumps, right? Tuesday at home, Sunday at home if you're looking to catch the fever. All right, the pop quiz coming up in a few. That is 317-239-1070. You get the pop quiz started for this week. Jiffy Lube oil change up for grabs. Before that, let's hit a morning check down. Major League Baseball yesterday. Reds over the Cards 4-3. It was San Francisco over the Cubs 13-3. Nationals over the Braves. Phillies over the Dodgers. Pirates over the Mets. Rockies over the Padres. The American League side of things. Cleveland over Houston. Cute fella over the Kansas City Royals. Toronto, a winner over Minnesota. Tampa beat Texas. The Angels over the Mariners. And the Red Sox, 3-2 winners over the Yankees. White Sox on the short in an interleague play against Miami. It was the Diamondbacks 7-5 over Detroit. And Kevin's Oakland Athletics, the Bring hottest team in baseball. Five-game win streak. They get a three-game sweep of the Brewers. Indianapolis Indians were rained out with Omaha. Break them up. Don't look now. Here come the athletics. That's what Mark Dykton would be saying if he were in here right now. Tonight, game five from Denver. It is an 8-30 tip. The Nuggets are favored by eight and a half. 
as they look to clinch this. You think Jamal Murray could sneak into some co-MVP or yes. Nikola Jokic? Well, no, it's it's it, going it, to be Jokic because okay. of the fact it's Jokic. But um, Murray, 12 assists and no turnovers in, in the, game I mean, four. That guy's awfully good, man. Uh, teams are 1-35 in NBA history when they are down 3-1 in the finals. LeBron and the Cavs in 2016, the only ones to come back from that sort of deficit. Uh, if there is a game six, it will be Thursday from Miami. Uh, NASCAR yesterday, Martin Truex Jr. winning in Sonoma, just ahead of Kyle Busch and Joey Logano. Sam Fritz, I will let you begin. Give me a number one through 36. Number three, please. I just said that Joey Logano was third. How about between, I, so I should have prefaced. That's my bad. Between Dude, four and 36. Number four, please. Uh, number four, Chris <laughs> Boucher, you win a, ooh, this is good, a lifetime supply of Fifth Third Bank. Oh, oh nice. loaded. I got all the money I need. How about there that? You go, Sam. Kevin, give me a number. Oh, June 12th. Five Rosie's, through 36. Rosie's birthday on the 12th of June. Happy birthday, Rosie Bo. Let's go with number 12. Uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., you win a lifetime supply of Kroger and Cottonelle. Talk about something I need for a three-year-old. Perfect. <laughs> that is correct. And give me a, one of the two of you. Give me a number for myself. Sam Fritz, all you. Uh, did we do twelve? Yes, we just did. Sorry. Uh, Sam, no, or, or, do you work here? Oh, yes, man. I'm doing well, a lot of work. Has a fire here, alarm gotten well, to Sam's I mean, head? What, what's you think going today? on here? Yeah, I'm trying to manage a fire it's, at the moment. Wow. What number? Number twenty. The Bucky's hat is crushing his brain. Now the, <laughs> the lights are going, going off. The no, fire alarm lights are going off. They're testing the fire alarm in here, folks. In case you're curious, and it's been all hell breaking loose. They 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 started testing the fire alarm at seven. At nine o'clock, they sent us an email warning us about it. Corey Lajoy. By the way, I have won a lifetime supply of uh, Schluter Systems. I don't know what that is, but that sounds shady. Gosh, that sounds very shady. That sounds like something you're getting mailed from Denver <laughs> as well. Uh-huh. Uh, heading into game five tomorrow night on our airways, we'll see if the Vegas Golden Knights can close it out over the Panthers. They are up 3-1. I'm prone to seizures, and they've got a strobe light going <laughs> off in it. here. What, should we be worried about this? I feel like I'm in the basement of Casbah. I'm going to put on my and, sunglasses. And, and Broad Ripple right now. Uh, some quick notes on the sports <laughs> to round out the weekend. Indiana State, the Fighting JMVers, unfortunately, uh, they lost their first two games in Super Regional, so their season is complete. 4-1 on Friday, 6-4 on Saturday to TCU. Held TCU's hot bats in check, but cannot do enough scoring on their end. Novak Djokovic, major number 23 for the Joker. That breaks a tie with Rafa Nadal for the most ever in the men's game. And looking ahead to this week, Jake, IndyCar back in action, Road America the destination? That is correct. The very long road course in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. Very cool venue. What the hell are those sunglasses? What do you mean? I have several in here. Would you like me to put on a different pair? You don't like these? Sam, what is he wearing? A cool pair of shades. These are spies. Wait, is that different from the one you just had on? No. I looked away for a second there. Oh. I got my Indy 500 glasses. I can is make that the odd for the strobe time. light? Yes. I'm... How many sunglasses do you carry with you at all times? I, uh, I have a, an issue with sunglasses. I love spy. We have a deal with IndyCar where we're allowed to go to the Oakley employee store, and I buy, like, it's re and I'm not a huge fan of Oakleys, but when you're buying sunglasses that retail for 130 bucks for like eight sunglasses. bucks, I mean it's crazy. Um, these are actually when we um, when we changed health insurance, which we change here every six months. <laughs> when we changed health insurance last, I got a thing that was like your flex spending account is expiring, so you've got to go to the flex spending account store. And I, I went to my parents' house and said, "Here, do you guys? I'm on this website." My dad bought $700 worth of Band-Aids. I don't know what the hell, like he's juggling chainsaws or something. And the only other thing on there that was 
that I thought was of interest was prescription sunglasses. So I bought this pair of prescription Ray-Bans. Jake's multitasking during the show think? is either cleaning his watches or cleaning his sunglasses. Correct. What do you think of these sunglasses here? Um, I think I like those better than the other ones. The like other them? ones, I think if it would be like a nine-year-old baseball team wearing those, you would really judge them. Well, yeah, I judge nine-year-old baseball teams in general, but these are just clear yeah. spy glasses. I say rock the other ones. Okay, so yeah. these are prescriptions. YouTube chat getting a great look at Jake and his sunglasses. I don't think you'll need those today outside. Well, I know, but the strobe light's going off, and I don't want to have a seizure. Uh, it is a chilly. I'm guy, always thinking ahead. Kevin. Somewhat chilly start. It to wasn't this raining here. when Noah built the ark. And Indy, Jake's ego in full effect here on this Monday morning, nine <laughs> thirty. The pop quiz is on the other side. Give us a call three one seven two three nine. I think my lack of ego is part of my greatness. Seventy for that. Sam Fritz is like uh, ten o'clock and not come soon. Mark's back tomorrow, right, Sam? I mean, he might be dissuaded from coming back given this interaction right now, knowing you know there's a fire going on. <laughs> That's Jake's right. Displaying yeah, a uh-huh. you know, feature-length sunglass event. I walked out during the break, and they said, "Don't go! Don't take the elevators! Head down the stairwell right now!" I'm like, "We still have a show till 10 a.m. Uh, we'll see if we're back on the other side." Pop quiz: three one seven two three nine ten seventy. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. See, the calendar girl is also prone to seizures, right? I see the strobe light is getting to our overnight uh, audience there in terms of... I bet uh, she wishes she had these goofy sunglasses now, doesn't she? Yeah, no mistakes made, right, with those? That's right. Uh, state finals coming up this weekend, correct? For the baseball? Yes. That's what I was trying to say there. And the IndyCar race coming up on Sunday from Road America. Obviously, we hope that you view. In case you didn't hear that. <laughs> yeah. We obviously hope that you listen on our airways to the IndyCar race. I do think we are in the USA portion of the IndyCar schedule. That would be from a TV channel standpoint. Is that right? I think we're starting to get into that. A couple races coming up on USA for those that are looking from a TV standpoint. And I know that... Um, you said for NASCAR or IndyCar? IndyCar. NASCAR now switches to NBC, so that may be right, yeah. That makes because sense. And if I'm NASCAR not NASCAR just took over from Fox or NBC just took over from Fox on the NASCAR side. And I would guess this Sunday, Jake in particular, the US Open is obviously on NBC for golf. That's kind of their big headline event each year from a golf standpoint. So I think we might be getting into the NBC portion of them taking over golf here on Sunday afternoons. All right, it's time for the pop quiz. 317-239-1070. The phone lines are filled up. Jake, a number? One through eight? Uh, we'll go with three. By the way, this quiz, Scotty. <whistles> top six easiest pop quiz ever. If you've listened to the show, you should get four falling out of bed. Without question. Uh, next two races, USA Network, you are correct. And then Toronto is on Peacock and then back to NBC. Cue the Peacock sound. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. How was that? Uh-huh. That was that was not bad actually. All right, my throat already is a little scratchy. Uh, who do we that. have? By the way, do we? Say? I just think it's an easy pop quiz. I believe you went with number three. Yes, number three is Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi. How are you guys? Doing fine, Jim. You've called the program before, right? Yes, I have. Am I'm calling from San Antonio, Texas, where I live. I work security for the Spurs, but I listen to you guys every day. I'm from Indy, born and raised. Wait, you do security for the Spurs? How yeah. long have you had that position? Two years. I, uh, I, I I cover the team buses when they come in. Oh, really? Love it. Well, Jim, you're the perfect person to ask. The security event <laughs> yesterday that we saw at the Canadian Open, did you catch a video of that? 
Yeah, I don't know if I would have tackled the guy or not. Um, I, I would have steered him away, but I don't think I would have tackled him. <laughs> uh, just You aren't a form tackler, or you just prefer a different type of method to remove people? Different type of method. Uh, uh, you know, just maybe steer him the other way, talk to him a little bit, but I don't know that I would have tackled him. Uh, Jim, <laughs> are you a fan of – are you excited about Victor Webb and Miyama? Yeah, uh, I'm a Pacer fan, number one, Spurs fan, number two. I call them 1A and 1B, and I love the Pacers when they came here, spent some time with Mark Boyle, and uh, talked to the Pacers. That was great. Now, is uh, Greg Popovich a nice guy? He himself a Hoosier as well. Yeah, you sort of stay away from him. I mean, I'm down there where they park. He waves to you, you wave back, but you don't really talk to him. (laughs) And how often do you go to the Alamo? Uh, I I also work there also. I I did some uh, USTA uh, football games there and uh, the new league. So, uh, yeah, I, I do the Alamo also. No, I mean, the, the, not the Alamo Dome, the, the Alamo itself, like the facility. Oh, you know, the- no, no. I, I've been there a couple times, but it's like everywhere else. You don't visit your own sites when you're, when right. you're living there. Like when friends from out of town come to visit, then you go to the Alamo, right? We go to the Alamo and uh, the Riverwalk. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, so, Jim, you said you uh, visiting buses is your typical duty at Spurs games? Yes. Okay, who's yes. the nicest NBA team? Uh, the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, who, who are the biggest prima donnas? Los Angeles Lakers. Okay. <laughs> well, I would say both those they check had, out. They had three buses, and only one had a police escort, and that's the one that had LeBron on it. Well, I mean, he's the most famous athlete in the world, right? Yep. So the Hornets. By, by the way, Jake, you always ask. School. You always ask what high school we went to. I went to Northwest. Oh, okay. Oh, so space you're a space pioneer. There we go. Space pioneers. Okay. Oh. I really appreciate calling in. So lastly, Jim, here's my last question for you, and then we'll get to the pop quiz because this stuff fascinates me. The story in the two years that you've done it of an NBA player that you saw being exceptionally nice to or accommodating to a kid when it came to like signing an autograph or something like that where you said to yourself, that guy's a decent guy. Anybody jump out at you? Yeah. um, I can't remember his first name, and I apologize, but Ball of Charlotte. Oh, LaMelo. Lamelo Ball, yeah, yeah, he was he was injured. He didn't play that night, but he was very nice to the kids. Okay, now the guy that you saw that you were like, what a complete jerk, LeBron James. Okay, it, was there a particular act that LeBron did? Yeah, I, I, I see him when they come off the bus, and so I say hi to him. And obviously, they're more cordial after the games, if, especially if they've won, and they did a lot against the Spurs this year. But LeBron, I I said hi to him. He didn't acknowledge me or anything. He just went straight to the locker room, which I get. Now, I guess my question would be this, Jim, and I'm asking this not in defense of him, but out of general curiosity. MJ would have said hi. Would that – do you think that your perception of that moment was amplified by the fact that he is as big as he is as opposed to, for example, if that had been the exact same thing and it was Andrew Nimhart of the Pacers, would you have thought about it in the same ilk? Jake, you're right on. You're right on. Obviously, you know, get a little chip on your shoulder about LeBron in the first place. And so you're absolutely right. And, and that probably magnified it. I'm sure it did. Well, I, I can appreciate that that sort of an honesty on Jim, it. thanks for sharing those stories. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. The, I appreciate the it. Should every, hang day, a man, every morning I listen to you guys on, 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 the, uh, on, the, on the internet. Well, we appreciate it. Would Love you it. like for me, that would be Jacob for Kevin to lead you off with question number one, Jim. Uh, I'll go with you, Jake. All right, here we go. Uh, Novak Djokovic is your French Open men's champion for 2023, his 23rd championship and a major. That breaks an all-time record that was previously held by who? Roger Federer, Pete Sampras, Bjorn Borg, or Rafael Nadal? I'm going to say Roger Federer. Uh, Go with the same first initial. 
Can you repeat them again? Roger Federer, Pete Sampras, Bjorn Borg, and Rafael Nadal. Beyond Borg. All right, Jim, uh, number two here. Ellie De La Cruz had a pair of hits and a pair of walks. We tell Rosie to take deep breaths when we're trying to kind of move on from something. Uh, Ellie De La Cruz had a pair of hits and a pair of walks, and the Reds win over the Cardinals yesterday. Jim, name the last Red younger than the 21-year-old De La Cruz to reach base four times in a game. Guy with two first names. A, J. Bruce. B, Johnny Bench. C, Vada Pinson. Veda Pinson. Not him. And D, Eric Davis. Eric Davis. This guy's last name was a great defender for the Spurs back in the day here, Jim. And I <laughs> and I like his All name, right, too. Can you repeat him again? Yeah, Jay Bruce, Johnny Bench, Veda Penson, Eric Davis. Jay Bruce. Okay. Uh, question number three. Don't look now, but here come the athletics. Oakland's riding a five-game winning streak with all five wins coming on the road. Play that Howard Dean sound. How many road know. wins did the A's have before their current winning streak? Four, five, six, or seven? Four. Okay. Number four here, Jim. Game five of the NBA Finals takes place tonight in Denver. How is Nikola Jokic when he gets off the bus, Jim? Um, just business. Business as usual. They they go to the locker room pretty quick. They get off the bus and they just have a hundred yards of the locker room. They go there pretty quick. Just carrying a pizza and a six pack of beer before he reports to work. <laughs> uh, okay, game five. Obviously, the Nuggets holding their three games to one lead over the Heat. Only once before, Jim, has the team overcome a three-one deficit to win the NBA Finals. I don't think you were too happy about it. Was it the Heat, the Cavs, the Celtics, or the Bullets? Um, Heat. Okay. Jim, my last question for you. I'm wearing an original USFL t-shirt today. Back in the original USFL in the early 80s, San Antonio had a team. As a matter of fact, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, Steve DeBerg might have been their quarterback, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong in that. But at any rate, was the San Antonio team the Gamblers, the Breakers, the Gunslingers, or the Stars? The Gunslingers. He ain't messing around there. Actually, it was Steve Spurrier. Steve Spurrier, I think, was the quarterback of the uh, San Antonio Gunslingers. Jim was all over that one there. He was, man. Uh, unfortunately, well, everything Bob- down here is gunslingers. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. What's that big, huge, like traditional? Um, there's a massive Mexican restaurant in San Antonio that's like a market and a whole deal. You know what I'm talking about? Um, they're all over the place down here. Uh, I'm not sure which one you're talking about, but uh, I know my wife would know. But- I mean, it's like. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's like an acreage of a restaurant, indoor, outdoor restaurant. It was it was fabulous when I was there. But anyway. Jim, is high school football crazy in San Antonio like it is oh, everywhere yeah. in Texas? High school football is great down – yeah, it's, it's big down here. And, you know, you're talking five and 6,000 at each game and that type of thing. Um, yeah, it, it's big down here. But basketball is the king in Indiana, though. You're right about that. All right. Question number one. Um, things kind of went south quickly. The, the record was actually set by Rafael Nadal, 22 majors. Jay Bruce, the A's had won five road games. The Cleveland Cavaliers, for question number four, and number five, Gunslingers, was correct. Scotty's actual fifth question. On this day in 1997, the first ever regular season interleague game took place in MLB. Who named one of the two teams? It was the Giants and the Rangers, by the way, in 1997. Jim sounds like a good dude. He does. I'd like to go down to San Antonio and have a Lone Star with Jim. You ever had a Lone Star? Oh, yeah. Sure, 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 sure. Um, split, right? Indiana All-Stars, I see that over the weekend. They lost to Kentucky on Friday night and then yeah, beat them on Saturday. 4,000 people. 
Four thousand here or four thousand there? Here. I was gonna say down there. It's been like four hundred. The Mr. Basketball took over though. Marcus Burton was. I think he was pretty darn good Friday and Saturday yeah, night. Like Twenty six and eight, I think. Yeah. So Indiana lost on Friday down there. They came back one on Saturday. I don't believe they had Miles Colvin for that one. He had a Team USA commitment, and Xavier Booker, uh, the Cathedral product who was playing at Michigan State, was already. Uh, up there in East Lansing. All right, we'll do it one final time here. Kevin and Query on a Monday. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Yeah, this baseline's perfect for the strobe lights. I was going to say, you getting ready for the red light district in the Netherlands, Jake, later this year? (laughs) (laughs) Have you been to the Netherlands? I have not, no. My Europe history is strictly London. Strictly London. Now, when you did that London trip, you went... Were you working for the culture yes, here? Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, Virgin Airlines flight Thursday evening. That was the, you know, red-eye equivalent. Was it a team charter or were you in the yeah. commercial? Mm-hmm. Uh, sleep on the plane. I just can't sleep on planes. Yeah, it's tough. That was and I, real tough. Then we got to our, I think it was a resort, the Grove, I believe is what it was called. We got there and they're like, stay awake, practice, you know, it was in four hours, do not go to sleep. I'm like, screw this, I got four hours, I'm napping. And it just cost me the rest of the trip. Really? fighting jet lag so we, here's what we've always done because you sleep on the plane and that's always, theoretically the night i've only done this twice but when when we went to paris and then barcelona the two different trips i've taken left here at like six o'clock by the time you leave the east coast like new york it's yeah i mean it's nine o'clock or whatever so when you land you're correct you land it's like seven yeah. in the morning mm-hmm. in that city we landed we have, in like rush hour, London rush hour. We've always done go to the hotel and drop the bags off and then go venture around the city. And it's tough. I mean, you're definitely dragging. Go back to the room at like one or two in the afternoon and sleep for like three hours. Wake up at five in the evening. You know, you've had just, you get enough energy to go out and have dinner, do a normal deal, come back at like nine o'clock, go to bed. You sleep for like, nine hours and you wake up the next morning at like 7 a.m totally refreshed that makes sense you're set yeah that's how i've always done it yeah that that so far has worked but we shall see yeah i mean the issue and again this is a great problem to have the issue was you know a lot of the friday activities were one o'clock three o'clock five o'clock um etc but it was awesome dinner kensington palace how how long did the team have to adjust their body i mean the same as you yeah i mean they were they were on the same flight yeah yeah uh, they had a practice at like noon or one, and then, uh, you know, typically once you get into Friday evening into Saturday, it's a little bit quieter on the NFL schedule. They, they had some time, I think, to you know, uh, to whatever, get into the city of London and see a little bit more. Now, didn't on that um, Antonio Cromartie go to Paris? Yeah, that, that was always a rumor. I did notice there was a lot of shopping bags that he brought back on the trip. He didn't play very well in that game either. Well, he didn't play very well as a Colt, right? Yeah. That's but again a lot of kids to shop for which you know shout out to Rosie Bow happy thirty or happy thirtieth happy third birthday to her so um, been there uh, cheapest ticket to get into whatever the Denver Arena is called tonight what do you guys think that is a great question have you looked it up I did uh, eight hundred bucks Sam Fritz 
135 for a nosebleed. Whoa! 135? Sam, they're going for an NBA title. Yeah, but, I mean, you got to be reasonable here. Jeez. A pair of tickets sitting together, $832. A piece or for the pair? A piece. Sam Fritz thought he was going to like a Dave Matthews concert. I, I missed that it was for a pair. I was no, 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 each per per, each. per seat, eight thirty-two well, per seat. Well, I still would have said one thirty-five, but my total would have been upwards of three hundred. I mean, I would have been dead wrong, but less so. This is eight hundred thirty-two dollars for Oon ticket. I was looking for two together, eight hundred thirty-two per ticket. I mean, that's. I'm happy for Denver. Yeah, it's good. You wonder what they'd be here. I mean, because I, I do think the Pacers have a more loyal fan base than do the Nuggets because the Broncos are just so big there. It is cool. I, there's no doubt it's cool. Have You've been to Denver, right? Oh, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Yeah, Maddie, um, Maddie's got a couple cousins that live in Denver. Uh, yeah, it's a great it's a great place. Been to several really Colts-Broncos games out there. I was doing uh, Indiana Sports Talk over the weekend doing updates, and – they brought up on the show that we're about to be hearing something that we didn't think we'd probably ever hear is NBA champion Denver Nuggets. Oh, no doubt. Doesn't that seem like something that kind of no never doubt. seemed real? Sort of like Super Bowl champion Cleveland Browns, right? I would think Pacers fans feel that way about the Pacers in the NBA championship. The Nuggets have just been such a – it's not even like they've knocked on the door and no, knocked on the, the door. No, the Pacers have they've, had far more chances correct. than the Nuggets. I mean, they've just been such a middling fr- – I don't know that they, they ever were, like, terrible – but just such a middling franchise. And, you know, the thing about it is lottery luck has not aided them at all with this. Murray yeah. was the seventh pick. Michael Porter was the 13th pick. Jokic was like 42nd, right? Jokic was in the second. You know, the, the, the joke is, and it fits Jokic pretty well, ESPN was playing a Taco Bell commercial when his pick was announced on the bottom ticker. That That's where they were. Yeah. Aaron Gordon was a trade. I mean, they didn't do any – this is not big market. This is not – Web and Yama to the Spurs, ping pong balls. This is a very organic build. We saw some of their fringe guys step up on the road. Uh, it's been darn impressive to see uh, this build and now what is a run that I think could last for a couple of years. The guy that deserves a lot of credit is Aaron Gordon because he was in Orlando. He was a young player. He won the dunk contest. Or He's the highest star pick out of all of them. Yeah, and he was like a – he was the the franchise to an extent in Orlando, and the Nuggets trade Gary Harris and a couple of other players to Orlando, and so he goes from being an epicenter player to a role player, and he has worn that extremely well and bought into that, and that's a huge part of their success. Michael Porter and them being patient with his back injury when he fell in the draft because of that, and Aaron Gordon are a huge part of their success. It helps to have Jokic pan out the way he has and obviously Murray being a very good player. you got to go to Adam Hadwin, the golfer that got decked on the 18th green yesterday. you got to go to his Twitter, and this is the picture that he's tweeted out, Jake. You can see Nick Taylor and his caddy celebrating in the background, but looking over at him just getting decked by the security guard. Tremendous for the game of golf. What a week it's been. Uh, Game five tonight on these airwaves. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.